0: Well, this particular day, I uh, had gotten in my suburban, was leaving my home that morning, and the Spirit of God spoke to me to go back into my house to get a book of Scripture, and that I had compiled, uh, you know, two years previous to that. I'd been adding to it, and it contained nothing but Scripture that I would confess and uh, with the intent of just letting that word live and abide in my heart. So I got that book, and I put it in my car, and along with about four evangelistic magazines and about ten evangelistic tapes that I had sitting in my car, and I was on my way to do some volunteer work, and I went to do that, and on the way home, I had to get a few more Christmas presents, and across the street was a Kmart, which I had only gone to twice in nine years. It was not a a stopping off point for me, really, it isn't even on the way to my house. But I went into Kmart, was there about an hour and came out to my car. As I was approaching the car, I felt a gun in my back. And I turned around and this this man looked at me and he was shaking, crying. Uh, he looked like a rabid dog, really. I don't know how else to explain it, but he looked satanic. And the first thing I thought was, you're going to die today. That was the first thought that went through me. But with my mouth, I said, do you know Jesus Christ? (laughs) And (laughs) he looked at me and he said, no, I don't. Get in this car. And (laughs) so... I got in the car. He made me sit over in the passenger side. Of course, I did not realize this man, I hadn't been watching the news or read the newspapers. At this particular time, they had helicopters circling the city of San Antonio looking for him. He'd been on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, uh, as I understand, for the last 10 years. Had been eluding the FBI and uh, he had raped and brutally murdered women all over the country and was known for his intense hate for women. I knew none of this. And uh, in fact, some friends later told me that the police were going up and down the some of the neighborhoods there telling women to get into their homes. And uh, here I was with this man. Well, as I said, I sat in the passenger side and he was in the driver's seat he lo- I have an electronic door lock, which he locked, and the next thing he began to tell me was, sit on your hands. I want you to sit on them because if you try to move, I will kill you. He had killed a girl in early morning at 2 a.m., and I was in the car with him 2 in the afternoon It's when he abducted me, and um, she had tried to escape, and he shot her which I did not know anything about this either. As I was sitting on my hands, he began to tell me how he had escaped. The police had raided uh, an apartment where he had was keeping a girl tied up. She was kidnapped. And he evidently, they raided the apartment and he escaped through the window. He said, I've been running all over town. I had a little bit of money and I've been taking buses all over the city. And he said, a strange thing happened. I went into a church this morning and I didn't know what to do. So I just walked out and I said, I've been sitting at this Kmart for hours. While he was telling me this, he was crying and shaking. But the Spirit of God was uh, mighty in me and I said, what's your name? And he said, it's Stephen. And I said, I'm going to put my hands on you and pray for you right now. And he said, no, you're not. I don't want to be prayed for and I said be quiet and shut your mouth and I just put my hands on him <laughs> and uh, of course I can't remember everything I said but uh, it was something to the effect of, I take authority over every demonic force in this man you know that I serve the Lord Jesus Christ and I declare right now You have no dominion over this man. Sin shall not have dominion over him. He has dominion over you, and I have dominion over you, and he will be serving Jesus Christ before this day ends. And, of course, after this, he looked at me and he said, I can't believe this. I'm in the car with a religious freak. (laughs) He said, I don't want to steal anything from you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to do anything that would hurt you. I just want to talk to you. I need help. (laughs) And so, you know, I put my hands back under me. I was going to sit on him. He said, Don't do that. He said, I just want to talk to you. (laughs) So, um, anyway, I said, You know something? You think that you abducted me today, but God put me in this car with you. And I said, You've been telling me that you want to kill yourself and end your life. And I said, I want to tell you something. If you kill yourself today, you've led a life the tail on this earth. And I said, if you kill yourself today, you're going to the, to the real hell, Stephen. And it's thousands of times worse than any hell you've ever encountered in this earth. And I said, Jesus Christ put me in this car with you to tell you, your time is short. If you don't accept him, you will go to the real hell. And I said, you deserve to go there. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He went to hell for you in your behalf. So that you would not have to go there and I said there is not one person that deserves it But we serve a God of love he said listen he said, you know you have this calmness about you I had a, a calmness come over me a very strong calmness and he said why aren't you trying to escape out of this car you don't seem like you're afraid and I said I'm not I said you know something Stephen there's no fear in love perfect love casts out fear and uh, this, we were down in the parking lot of Cambridge talking, and he said, "You know, I think I want to get a coke." And so we drove over to, uh, you know, a Whataburger and got a coke. And he, uh, <clears throat> you know, the fear started to come upon him again. And he said, "I know I'm going to kill myself today. I know there's going to be a road blockade out for me." And uh, I, I said, "Let me tell you something." I said, there's a scripture in the Word of God that says, if God be for you, who can be against you? And I said, Stephen, if you've got God Almighty on your side, and the whole world is against you, who do you think's going to win? And he said, the one that has God. And I said, all right, I've got God on my side, and no weapon formed against this car, or me, or you, is going to prosper in the name of Jesus. And uh, he calmed down <laughs> considerably. And he said, I want you to lead me to a secluded spot where we can just talk. I just want to talk to you. And, um, of course, he assured me not to try anything funny, but I, I wasn't about to, you know, I didn't, it wasn't even in my heart to try anything like that because, uh, I had the compassion of Jesus Christ just overwhelmed me. I had a, um, a lot of compassion for this man that goes, When you walk in the Spirit of God it goes against your natural mind. Your natural mind is repulsed almost by this individual. But the love of God is a love that knows no barriers. It is beyond the sense realm, beyond the reason realm, it goes beyond that. It's the uh, capacity to love the unlovable and to go beyond feeling or reason. and Anyway, I led him to a secluded place, but he, it was right by a 7-Eleven, and that's where he wanted to be because he said it would look strange, uh, if we weren't in an area where people were walking around. So I, you know, I didn't care where we were as long as, uh, you know, I was sharing the Word of God with him. And I parked by the 7-Eleven, and <clears throat> he began to tell me, I will never go back to prison. I'll never go there again. And I said, you know something, you're in prison right now. You don't need to go be behind bars, you're in prison right now, Stephen. And he said, you know, you're right, I am. And uh, he said, you know, I feel more love from you than I have from anyone in my entire life. And I said, well, you know what it is, Stephen, is Jesus is not going to manifest himself to you in the flesh unless it's a phenomena. But he will appear to you through his people. And the love of God is more powerful than your hate, Stephen. It's a more powerful force than your hate or resentment. And I said, you know, uh, Stephen, it says in the Word of God that God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so hated the world or so condemned the world. It says God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. And I said, actually, you have had a stronghold, a satanic stronghold around you for years. And he said, you know, the this, this Satan thing you keep talking about, he said, I know that force. I've done many things that I haven't wanted to do with my will. I have not wanted to do them, but I just give in to it and do these things not knowing why I do them. And he said, you know, I've had this driving force of hate and resentment in me ever since I can remember. Uh, he had a just a horrible childhood. His mother did not like him, in fact hated him, evidently she did not love his father and transferred that hate to him and and he chose to harbor resentment against that. You know, we have the power of choice in this life to choose, just like we have the power to choose Jesus Christ and he chose to walk in that resentment and uh, got into the drug world and that resentment built into hate and hatred for women and then rape and murder. And he said, you know, I can tell you've never had anything bad happen to you in your life. And, of course, any God's going to love you. You've never had anything happen to you. And you've always been a model person and all this. And and, But look at me, you know, you don't really know who I am because you won't let me tell you about everything I've done. And And I said, I don't want to know what you've done. I really don't. I said, Jesus Christ knows what you've done in your life. He went to the cross in your behalf and went to hell in your behalf to battle Satan in your behalf and be raised from the dead in your behalf so you could live in this life as a new creature in Christ and as more than a conqueror in this life. And um, he just looked at me like, I cannot believe you, lady. (laughs) And he said, well, I want you to call your husband and tell him that you are all right. And by this time it was 6.30. He had abducted me at 2. It was 6.30. I called home. And uh, my husband had been playing golf with the man that owned Maggie's where the girl had been murdered the night before. And they were talking about this. You know, you, you'd never even consider in a million years that your wife was with someone like this. You know, it's always someone else. And anyway, he got home and I called him. And... I said, I'm out and I will be home later this evening. And he says, what's the matter with you? You sound different. When I heard his voice, fear started creeping in on me because my thought, the thought that came to me is, when are you going to see your family again? When are you, will you ever get home? See, Satan will plant these doubts and fears to try to get you off the word of God. <laughs> my voice was shaky when I was talking to my husband and he said, I've lived with you almost ten years and I can tell something's wrong with you. What's the matter with you? And I said, nothing. I'll be home later. Of course, then he said, well, don't forget we're going out with (laughs) so-and-so, you know. He had no idea what was going on. So uh, I hung the phone up and uh, got into the car and Stephen said, what's the matter with you? You're not as calm as you've been all day. He could sense that fear instantly. And I was, you know, the plan wasn't going like I thought it was going to go. So this doubt and fear was creeping in, like I told you. But, you know, after, after him saying to me, you look a little shaky, then I said, look, Stephen. I said, right now, we're just going to pray. And I took authority over the spirit of fear. And I said... You know, God has a plan today, and I'm not going to try to play God. So let's just flow with His Spirit because He's going to lead and guide us and show us exactly what to do. And we both began. He got calm the minute I did, and we both got back in the car. And, uh, He mentioned, Why don't I go to, uh, through Austin? And then He said, You know, I think that, I bet you there'll be a road blockade. And He said, If there is, there'll be a shootout, and I'll probably kill myself. And I reassured him again that he would not kill himself because my God was able to deliver us (laughs) and he had delivered us from the power of darkness. So right then, uh, all during this entire day, I was praying in the spirit, not, uh, he could not hear me, but I was praying constantly while he was sitting there talking. He'd talk and I'd pray in the spirit. And then, uh, while he wasn't talking, I'd be teaching the word if I wasn't uh, praying in the spirit. I told him, I said, uh, Stephen, I feel the Lord is telling us not to go to Austin at all, that there really will be a road blockade, And uh, but I said, the Spirit of God keeps telling me to go to Kerrville for some reason. Well, by this time, he says, I'll do what you want to do. He said, are you an angel? <laughs> I felt like saying, just ask my husband <laughs> But I didn't say that. (laughs) Anyway, um, he decided Kerrville was a good idea. And I found out later there really were road blockades on every exit out of San Antonio. And I'm sure at one time there was one going up to Kerrville, but they never encountered us and we never encountered them. Uh, Shortly after, after we decided, or the Spirit of God really decided That we were going to go to Kerrville And we were obedient to the Spirit of God He wanted me to go into the Seven Eleven And get him a paper And some beer And cigarettes And I said well I will do it on one condition That you don't make me read what you've done Because I don't want to hear what you've done I don't care about what you've done There is nothing that is so bad That the blood of Jesus Cannot cleanse it and forgive it There is not, nothing in no one that is that bad And he was one of the worst. So he said, I won't make you read anything. So I went in and got him the paper and of course he was headlines. and by this time it was dark and we went and gassed up my suburban and right after that he said, I'll be needing some money once I get there. And so we drove through, my bank was right there and we drove through and I said, well how much would you like, Stephen? And he said, "Whatever you find it in your heart to give me is all right with me." <laughs> so the Spirit of God put a sum of money on my heart, and I I gave it to him, and he started crying, and he hugged me and said, "You you're just the most wonderful person I've ever met in my life." And he said, "You know," he said, "This love I feel is not sexual. It's nothing like that. It's a it's something I have never experienced before. I've never felt this ever." And, uh well, from that point, we proceeded up the road to Kerrville, and, like I said, it was dark. Um, and as we were going up the highway, I had a tape, and I said, would you like to listen to this? And he said, yes, I would like to hear it. So we put the tape in, and he was uh really listening to it, really listening to the words, and... I guess he listened for about 10 minutes and he turned it off and he said, I want to tell you something. I have this son that I haven't told you about and I never want him to have to go through what I've gone through. And I said, well, you tell me something, Stephen, if this son of yours had committed the crimes that you've committed, do you think you would still love him? You think you could forgive him if he had done the things that you've done? And he said, you know, I would die for my son. And I said, well, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ died for you. That's what he did for you. And I said, he loves you thousands of times more than you could possibly love that little son. And he paid the penalty. You're willing to pay that penalty for your son. And Jesus paid it for you. As sinner's death, Stephen, is to go to hell for eternity. He went to hell for you. So you don't have to go to hell. I said he was raised incorruptible and when the incorruptible word of God gets in you and you believe it you've got eternal life Stephen well he said you know something you've been preaching to me all day and I finally understand what you're talking about and he pulled the car over to the side of the freeway and to me this next incident was just nothing short of it was just the power of God in manifestation He pulled over and his hands went straight up in the air. And (laughs) while his hands were raised up, he said, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. Please forgive me. I want to go to heaven. Um, I just was, could not believe my eyes. (laughs) It wasn't as if I was laying my hands and saying, please repeat after me these words. You know, I wasn't doing a thing. All I had done was, uh, to the best of my ability been obedient to the Spirit of God, and he took over in Stephen's heart. Well, shortly after that he looked at me, he was still sitting there, we we sat there for about 15 minutes, because after he did that, he began to cry, and he said, I want to tell you something, it's gone, and I said, what's gone? And he said, that hate I've been telling you about all day, it's gone, and that resentment is gone. (laughs) If someone like this, who has lived on the con for 30 years and been eluding the FBI for 10 years, is not going to say they feel it if they don't feel it, believe me. He's not about to say something if it's not a reality to him. And he said, something just happened to me. I am not the same. I don't feel the same. It's like this cleanse. It's like I can't explain it. And I said, you've been born again, Stephen. Because that's what happened to you you were born again and I said I'm going to explain to you what born again means <laughs> and uh, I said the first time when you were born of your earthly father you had his seed in you and that seed in the word of God is called corruptible seed which means it's going to die your flesh is going to die but when you receive Jesus as your Lord all of a sudden God plants his seed in you and that seed is in the word of God called incorruptible seed and which means that you will not die. You will not. Your your physical body will die, but your spirit will have eternal life. It's incorruptible. That's why it's called being born again. You were born once of the, of your earthly father. Now you're born again of your heavenly father. And uh, I said, you know, I feel like Ananias. I mean, and he, I said, this reminds me of Paul. And he says, who's Paul? <laughs> he really didn't know anything. Nothing did he know in the Word of God. And he said, do you mind if I just hug you and cry on your shoulder? I just want to cry. Just, I just want to cry. And he did. He just sobbed. Well, he started his car up, and he was totally different after that. He really, he was, smile, I had not seen him smile the entire day. His eyes were extremely peaceful, and he was not the same individual. He was a new creature in Christ, no doubt about it. And uh, he knew it, too. He said, I. I don't want to do this anymore and and then he stopped the car again and he held his gun up in the air and he said I want you to uh, open your purse up and he unloaded all the bullets into my purse and he said I don't ever want to do this again ever I'm through with this. He said I want to tell people about Jesus Christ (laughs) and he really all the way up there he was Yeah, he was just praising Jesus on the road up to Kerrville, and when we approached Kerrville, of course, he said, you know, if there's not a bus here that can take me to Fort Worth, you're going to come with me. I said, there will be a bus, Stephen. I'm sure God has prepared a bus for you to get on to go. So I went into the bus station, and I said, do you have any buses that are going to Fort Worth anytime soon? And he said, well, of course we do. The next bus coming in is going to Austin connecting to Fort Worth. <laughs> and, you know, it could have been going back to San Antonio, El Paso. It could have gone anywhere. But it was going exactly where it was supposed to be going. Well, we had about uh, 45 minutes before it left, and we went and got a hamburger, McDonald's. By this time, we were friends. And we sat in that parking lot eating our hamburgers, and I told him that, I said, Stephen, you cannot use these weapons anymore, you can't use your guns or knives anymore because you have been fighting a spiritual demonic force and these little puny earthly weapons aren't going to cut the mustard in the realm of the spirit. I said, how do you think I'm sitting here with you today and we're laughing and we're friends? And I said, the scripture declares that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal they're not well, they're not man made weapons they're not carnal but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds i said i'm going to teach you how to become proficient in operating the weapons in the spirit realm and i gave this book to him and i said i want you to take this and when you get on that bus i said i want you to say the scripture out of your mouth not to yourself He said out of your mouth so satan can hear you because he will come and tell you that nothing happened to you. And I want you to assure him that you are a new creature in Christ. Because he will not obey anything unless it's the Spirit of God. He won't obey your little puny word. But he will obey the authority of the word of God in the name of Jesus. He knows he was defeated. But he wants to see if you know it. <laughs> so he, he didn't want to leave. He was. He said, I don't want to leave. I've never met anyone like you in my life. And I know that, that God did put us together. And uh, I said to him, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get home. But I can tell you, I cannot lie for you. And from what I understand, he has never let any girl go. Um, but he said, I could never, you know, I'm just a different person now. And he got in the bus waving to me, smiling. And, uh, of course, people ask me, why didn't you call the police right then? But, you know, I could have called the police at any time that whole day. There were many chances and opportunities I had to tip people off or make a phone call to the police. But when you're walking with the Spirit of God, you obey Him. Because if you don't, you might end up dead. I could have ended up dead, trying anything. Because my your reason will say, we'll call the police. But... The Lord can see the end before the beginning and he knows exactly. He will order your steps. He says he will make the crooked places straight and go before you and fight for you. So uh, I just put my hand in his hand and trusted him totally. I drove off before the bus and of course as I told you I didn't know that he was a big celebrity in the criminal world at all. I thought I was going to get home and say to my husband you're not going to believe what happened to me today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, he had seen the 10 o'clock news, and, of course, Stephen Moran was the first story on. And they said, we believe that he has remained true to his pattern. He's probably picked up a woman on the north side. and Well, my husband started to panic. And uh, our next-door neighbor is his partner. So he went over there and said, do you think I'm just crazy to believe my wife, Marty, could be with this guy? And uh, they said, no, we don't. You better call the police. The partner's wife said, wait a minute, she was going to buy you this hunting rifle in Austin. Maybe she went up there, you know, as a Christmas present. Maybe she went up there to get it and had a flat tire on the way home. And his partner said, well, I hate to tell you this, but she's already gotten it. Well, hell, you know, just think. Well, he called the police, and when I got home, my house was just surrounded by police. And of course, he was standing out in front of the house, and he was very fearful. But when he saw me drive up, and I was smiling, his fear turned to mad. He was furious. He said, look at her. There's nothing wrong with her. She hadn't been with that guy. She's just fine. He was just furious. <laughs> I waved to him. When I drove. He yanked that car door open. Where have you been? And I said, you see all these bullets? you see the headlines of this paper? I've been with this guy all day long and he he started his knees buckled and his partner picked him up. I was in better shape than he was and all the police. (laughs) The police really, they were just buzzing around my car getting fingerprints and they just couldn't believe it. I kept saying y'all don't understand this man has given his life to Christ and they said get her a martini right now. She's all shaken up. (laughs) Next thing I knew I was down at the police headquarters telling the story to the sergeant there and as I started to tell him the story he said now just wait a minute and he went out to my husband and said I'm a Christian but Is your wife prone to fabricate? I mean, does she make tales up? This is the wildest tale I have ever heard. (laughs) He said, I would believe it if I were you. Well, I told him the majority of the story, but I could not tell him the part about Stephen being in Austin. He was in Austin waiting for the bus to go to Fort Worth. You know, I did not want to betray this person, and uh, I had... You know, a lot of things going on inside of me at the time, I thought, I just, I don't want, this person, I don't want to destroy Christ for them. If they find out I've just knifed them in the back immediately, you know, is he going to still stand on the word of God? You know, the parable of the sower, where the sower sows the word and it says Satan comes immediately to steal the word of God. And so I wanted to the best of my ability to be obedient to the spirit and intercede for him so he would be strong and be able to stand against that attack. I went home, and when I got home, it was like a buzzer went off inside, and I said, I've got to tell you, I know where he is. I can tell you now where he is. He's in Austin, waiting for the bus to go to Fort Worth. He's been there three hours. And my husband, you know, why didn't you tell me this, what's the matter with you? (laughs) And I said, I just couldn't tell it. I could not tell it until now, and he went over to the phone, called the FBI, and said, my wife knows where he is. He's in the bus station in Austin waiting for the bus to go to Fort Worth. And of course the FBI agent said, you know, she's crazy to believe that a man that's been eluding us for 10 years is going to be sitting in the Austin bus station for three hours reading her book of scripture. He said, there's just no way that man probably got off the bus in Kerrville and is long gone. He said, you know, people don't get on the 10 most wanted list by being stupid. And uh, he said, there's a very slim and none chance this guy's going to be sitting there doing what she thinks he's doing. And he said, well, you know, you just take or leave the information. Uh, About a half hour later, that same sergeant called back. And he said, I just want to tell you what has happened. He said, I decided I ought to call the Austin police. And he said they surrounded the bus station there. And they were expecting a shootout when they walked in. And they they saw him sitting there and he was reading this little black book <laughs> and uh, he, Stephen stood up and he said, the sergeant said he gave us all of his weapons, he said he also had two knives in his boots and he had another pocket full of bullets which he could have reloaded his gun and he did not and he said he gave us all of his Weapons and told us that he said, "If I had seen you police uh, sooner today, there would have been a shootout and I would have killed myself." But today I met this lady and she changed my life. The sergeant says on the phone, "Well, all I can tell you is, uh, well, God bless you." <laughs> anyway, I mean it. There have been so many things happening since then, it would take me, you know, another hour to tell you, but I'm not going to. But I am going to say, like I said before, you know, God has no hands but our hands in this earth. What um, touched my heart and hurt me was the fact that this man had been walking around for 31 years and never heard about Jesus Christ. You know, and there are thousands of people walking around just like him. He was married at one time, and his. I found this out later, that he, after he left his wife, she became a Christian. She went to a Billy Graham crusade, gave her life to Christ, and a few days before I met Stephen, she saw him on TV, saw something on the news about him, and she had a friend, and she said, we've got to pray that Stephen comes to the Lord, Jesus and they both prayed in her house and that prayer really started the ball rolling because uh... that man had never been in texas before Stephen. and of course here he is in san antonio <laughs> i'm sitting in the car with him but there is a scripture that says the eyes of the lord go to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in behalf of those people whose hearts are perfect toward him and. He wants a vessel that wants to be used. Many people are walking around that have the knowledge of the word, but they don't. Jesus is not Lord over their life. You know, he wants he wants to be Lord of every aspect of your life. Otherwise, your will to make him Lord is what opens up the door for him to come in and use you. He wants a person that's willing to be obedient. Secondly, the power of love is what won that man. Not criticism, not telling them they're doing the wrong thing. They already know that. You know, an alcoholic knows that. But it's the love of God that cuts through those barriers and wins people to the Lord. God bless you all.
1: I got a phone call from this person that said, Hello, I'm your sister in Christ. And she said that she had had a prison ministry and she'd been spending a lot of time with Stephen and asked me if I would, Please come in and see him. And I said, I just can't unless God really does something drastic and tells me to do something. So I began to communicate with her, and she was communicating to him. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I felt like God was telling me to go into the prison. And uh, I knew it was the Lord, but I didn't want to do it. I'd never been to a prison, and it had been you know, weeks since I'd gone through this and uh, I was going to meet this woman who I'd never met and I met her down there and she said listen nobody can get in to see him of course I having never been in a prison I didn't know you needed uh, lawyers letters and things like that to get back to see somebody like that and uh, they brought him out in shackles I mean his feet were bound and his hands were bound he was behind the glass and this policeman told me to go back there and I said me and he said yes I said well I You know I can't he said yes you can go on so he he uh, allowed me to go back there and when I did Stephen started crying and I said why are you crying he said last night I told God tomorrow is my birthday and the only thing I want for my birthday is to see that lady and to know that this is something true that you know it's not something I made up and he said and here you are I started crying I thought this really was God you know he course he said don't feel bad about turning me in he said I'm not mad at all I have a lot of peace and we had a a long talk and um, I saw him the day before he was executed and before he died the warden came up to me and he said Stephen brought me to Christ he said I realize now that I didn't even know the real Jesus Christ and I'm really sorry that he's gonna die cuz he's helped a lot of us back here in the warden started crying and but he said this man really has helped a lot of us and he goes into the chapel and prays a lot but the day I saw Stephen before he died he said I'm gonna tell you something that I never told you that happened that day and he said remember when I pulled the car over and you know I put my hands up in the air and I said yes <laughs> you know what happened and I said what he said I heard an audible voice And the voice said to me, this is the last time I'm going to call you. When I heard that voice, I knew that everything he'd said all day was true. I knew there was a Jesus, and it scared me so much that I stopped the car and put my hands up in the air. He said, I never told that to anybody because they thought I was so crazy anyway. I heard a voice, Margie, and it was a powerful voice. And uh, the other interesting thing to me was that my physical looks looked like the girls he murdered. Yeah, I've thought about that so many times how you would never send a girl in to minister to a rapist, especially when it looked like the people he had raped and murdered. I thought, you know, God, I was a piece of bait. <laughs> but um God's ways really are not our ways at all. He knows what he wants to do and and he's got his ways of doing it. I know God had been preparing me for a long time. Sometimes I just sit in my car while my kids are at school, and I just memorize the Book of Ephesians or memorize um, Psalm 91. Whereas, you know, most people think like a normal human being and would have been terrified. I, he had programmed me so much to think the thoughts of the Word of God. I think that day, that's what surprised me so much about myself and was how much love and compassion i felt for him i just i would never have believed that i could have felt that i mean i couldn't have without god in me i got a glimpse that day of of how god loves humanity and it's just such a depth that we just can't even fathom it it's so great you know it's changed me forever
2: i know god gives all of us different gifts i was raised in a southern baptist church nine months before i was born my mother carried me to church I was in church all of my life. Uh, every time the door was open, I went to church. I loved the Lord with all my heart. I was raised up in one of the best Christian homes that you could imagine. That's the thing I appreciate what Brother Bill Gothard is doing. He's training the families how to walk with God. And this is a beautiful thing because to have a great father and a great mother is the best thing that anybody can do. If there's anything I want to emphasize to you today, It's that every man should love his wife with all his heart and be an example of God to his wife and his children. Every woman should be an example of God to their children. So their children will grow up believing that mother and daddy believes what they say and does what they say so that their children will grow up in a stable home. So they will get to the point where they will be able to hear God's voice and they will become wonderful young men and women of the Lord. And walk holy before Him. And I had that kind of home. And I'm grateful for that home that I was raised up in. Very grateful. But being a Southern Baptist, and still am, and walking in obedience to God's Word, this next month in June, 27 years ago, was the transformation that took place in my life. In June, 27 years ago, I had a two-year-old son and a brand-new baby girl. And I was in there studying. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a deacon and a Baptist church in Louisville, Texas. I had never heard the authoritative voice of God in my life. I had never heard anybody say that they had heard that. We don't seem to talk about those things, but I've now realized that God is a God that speaks, and He speaks to many of us. Because I've as I've talked to people, I've heard many, many people tell me that they've heard the authoritative voice of God. Even this morning... When I was over there, when this young lady was trying to make me look a little better for the cameras, if that's possible, there was only two young ladies in there. I asked them, I said, have either one of you young ladies ever heard the voice of God? And one of them immediately said, yes, sir, I've heard it twice. The other young lady was startled. She said, I've never heard it. I said, isn't that amazing? In a room with two people, one of you have heard the authoritative voice. I said, do you remember when it happened? She said, exactly. She remembered how old she was, everything. I said, honey, that's what happened to me 27 years ago. I said, I was a grown man, I was a teacher of the Word of God, I was a deacon in a church, I loved God with all my heart, but I had never heard anybody say that heard God's voice. But that's that night when I was sitting there studying, preparing to teach a Sunday school lesson, and it was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. You never forget those times when God speaks to you. I was sitting there and all of a sudden the king says, son, pay attention. I have a message for you in the next few verses. I heard that so clear and so authoritatively that I turned to see who walked into the room. Nobody there. Then I thought about what had been said to me. So I knew it was God. So I continued to read. And what he was telling me is what every man and woman needs to hear. He's giving you an example in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He's telling you exactly what you need to do if you want your children to walk with God. I got a complete new revelation right there. Although I was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher, I didn't pray with my wife at home. I mean, we did that in church. I didn't read the Word of God and teach my children the Word of God at home. We did that in church. But that night, I began to read the Word of God to my children and to my wife and pray over my wife and children every night. And I did that the rest of my life. I'm still doing that. That forever changed my life. But I had heard this voice. But I was afraid to tell anybody about it because I'd never heard anybody else say they'd heard it. So the next two years later, I was down in Houston on Monday morning. At 9 o'clock, I was an engineer working for a large corporation. I built buildings, designed equipment, and all those kinds of things. And I'm out there one morning, and as I get off of an airplane, I'm headed to a job site. And I think, well, I'll go by the corporate office since I was a regional engineer, and I'll do my paperwork while I'm here in Houston at the corporate office. But I forgot it. Went right on out to the job site. I'm out there underneath about 20,000 pounds of steel. And all of a sudden I hear this voice. He said, son. I said, yes, Lord. He said, you forgot to do your paperwork this morning. I said, Lord, I did. But I said, Lord, I just like 15 minutes. I'll run right back over there and do it. He said, no, son. I want you to go do it right now. I said, "Okay." So I laid down everything I had. I crawled out from under there, stood up and took the second step. And the supporting structure holding 20,000 pounds of steel exploded. And 20,000 pounds of steel was laid flat on the ground where I was. In my trembling and fear, I looked up and I said, Lord, that verse in 1 Corinthians 6:19 has just taken on an entirely new revelation to me. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I belong to you, and I really am not mine. I said, Lord, I don't know why you saved my life, but I'm so appreciative and so grateful that you did. I said, Father, from this moment on... I will do anything you tell me to do. I will go anywhere you tell me to go. I don't care what it is, because if you hadn't spoken to me right there, I would have been killed. Little did I know what the Lord had planned for me. He began to speak to me on a regular basis. About every year, every two years, I began to hear his voice. He began to train me in faith, what faith was. I had not a clue what faith was. I just didn't know. If you'd asked me, I'd have said, sure, I know what faith is. Didn't know the first thing about faith. But he began to explain to me what faith was. He began to teach me what healing was. I stepped into a realm in our Southern Baptist churches that was a little bit unique to what anything I'd ever heard. But God come to me one night and he said, Son, I have trained you where I want you to be. I want you to lay down that Southern Baptist quarterly. And I want you to start teaching just my word in that Baptist church. I said, Lord, I'll do it. But I said, Lord, if I do what you tell me to do, I said, some of those folks are going to think I'm crazy. I said, because what you've shown me is so foreign to what I've ever learned in church. I'm going to ask you to confirm what I teach from your word with signs and miracles and wonders following Lord. So they'll know that this is the truth. I began to teach in a Bible study class. I made the announcement to the pastor. I told him, I said, I'm going to start a unique class. The Lord inspired me. I didn't tell him God spoke to me in a clear, authoritative voice because I didn't think he would be willing to receive that. So anyway, I just told him, I said, God spoke to me. He gave me, he inspired me to start teaching just his word in a class. And so I'm going to start a unique class. So he said, okay. He made an announcement. He told the church what I was going to do. 15, 10, 15, 20 people started coming to that class. I started teaching the word of God with what God had been revealing to me. And he began to start doing mighty things. One of the first awesome things the Lord did, a young couple, They had a young son by the name of Philip Anthony Wren. He was 11 years old. They came to my class and they were awestruck at what they'd heard me teach from God's Word. I remember her saying, Thurman, I've been in church 20 years and I've never heard God's Word spoken like this. Her husband said, I've never heard these things either. But said, we need a miracle. I said, what do you need? You know, I've come to realize there's not many people in the church today that don't need a miracle or a healing. That's just just the way it is. So anyway, I said, what do you need? She said, our son, Philip here, he's had warts all over his body since he was three years old. He had them in his eyes, in his nose, in his mouth, all over his neck, his chin, all over the palms of both hands, on the backs of his hands. They'd burned two big rows of warts off the back of his right hand. Big old scars were there where they burned them off, and all the warts came right back in the scars. She said, we've done everything. We've prayed. We've taken him to the doctor. We've done everything. Nothing works. I said, well, first of all, you didn't do anything in faith. So I spent two and a half hours, maybe three, with that couple, explaining to them what God had revealed to me was faith. Making sure that their sins are confessed. I learned that when you live in any kind of sin, even the sin of unbelief, God will not hear your prayer. He says he will not. He says, you must walk holy before me. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So we've got a real goal or accomplishment there to meet is to walk holy before our king. That's what he requires. And it is definitely an achievable goal. So after teaching that couple the word of God for two and a half hours or so that Sunday afternoon, I knelt in the floor with them. I said, now then, I've realized that God is a faith God. And I used to not understand what that means. But I said, since he is a faith God, I have to come to him with his word because this book is faith. This word is what he calls the trust in his word or faith. And I said, without the word of God, it's impossible to please the king. So I said, I'm going to turn in the word of God now after I built Philip's and his mother's and dad's faith for two and a half hours. I turned to the little boy, 11 years old, which his body being been covered with warts now and these scars since he was three years old. I said, son, do you believe that Jesus that I read about in this book can take those warts and scars off your body? That little boy said, Mr. Scrivener, after what I've heard you talk to us about this afternoon out of God's word, I believe he can do anything. Now, that's what God's looking for right there. Believing That he can do anything. I said son he can. And he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think or imagine according to Ephesians 3.20. But I said we've cut the king very short. I said now then I'm going to take a promise in God's word. I said in Matthew 18.19. Jesus clearly said in Matthew 18.19. Again I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for. It shall be done for you by my father which is in heaven. Isn't that an awesome statement from the king? Again I tell you. That if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. A blank check. I had never used that blank check. But that day I knelt in the floor with that family around the little table there in their living room. And on my knees, with them on their knees, I raised my hands and asked the Father in the name of Jesus on behalf of that promise to take all of Philip Anthony Rind's warts and scars off. And I thank the Lord for doing I stood up and his mother said, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. I said, God does two things that I've learned in the healing realm. One of them is miracles. That means they could all fall off right now. But I said, that may not happen. But the other one is healing. And he promises to heal. I said, it takes time for healing. I said, he will take them off. I said, I guarantee you on the word of the living God. That in a few days to a few weeks at best, Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body because Jesus made us the promise in his word. And that's the first time I stepped out with that bold, authoritative, I guarantee God's word. But I did it that day. I walked across the street to the Baptist church where I was attending. The next morning, when Philip's mother woke up, she ran in to check Philip. And all the warts on the ends of his fingers and up under his fingernails were already completely gone overnight. She was awestruck. I told her when I left her that afternoon, I said, ma'am, I'm going to guarantee you something else. I said, when I leave here this afternoon, the enemy, which is the devil, he's going to send one of his fellows in and he's going to put a thought in your mind. He's going to say, now you don't really think that just because this old gray-headed guy came over here and knelt on the floor and spoke a few words into the atmosphere, that these warts and scars are going to come off a fellow's body. Remember, you took him to the doctor, and the doctor burned all those warts off the back of his right hand, and they came back in the scars. So what makes you think that those warts and scars are going to come off now because that man prayed? I said, don't you believe that? You believe God's Word. I said, when you hear that voice from the devil... Come in your mind. I said, you take this word and you open it up and you say, Mr. Devil, let me show you what Jesus said. And I said, you read Matthew eighteen nineteen to the devil. But she didn't have to do that. But I've taught that to many people since. Many of them have had to. But that morning when, her, when his warps began to come off, three weeks later, and this is so unfortunate, that you don't get to see a, a really hysterical mother in a Baptist church very often. Well, let me tell you, three weeks later, when Mama walked into church, she was charismatic. She was jumping and praising and screaming. She said, Thurman, look, look. She said, I've been in church all my life. I've never seen nothing like this. said, look, Philip does not have a wart on his body. Nowhere. Every one of them are gone. She said, look, the only thing left, those two big scars on the back of his right hand. I said, Mama, don't stop believing God. Continue to worship him and praise him. And I guarantee you next week when you come in, Philip won't have any scars. Next Sunday morning when she walked in, she said, Thurman, look, Philip Anthony Wren had no warts and no scars. He was completely delivered. I think our God deserves a hand for something like that. Praise the Lord. I guarantee you he is an awesome, mighty God. But that step put me into a new realm of faith. I saw God do something I guaranteed He said He would do. And when I had learned, He said, whenever you ask me for anything, you must ask me in faith, nothing wavering. He said, if you waver, in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, He said, if you don't believe I can do what I said I can do in this book, He said, you're double-minded and you're unstable, and let not that person think they will receive anything from me. I've come to realize that's why I used to didn't get any prayers answered. Because if I prayed, I'd say, oh God, if it be your will. He said, I'm not a if it be my will, God. He said, I'm a faith God. He said, you come to me and ask me for something in this book after what I've given you and the promises I've made you in here. You come to me and you ask me what you want according to this book after you walk holy with your sins confessed and then I will do it for you. No questions asked. You just do what I tell you to do. So I started praying like that for people. As I began to see the Lord do these mighty wonderful things, five years ago I stepped out into a new realm. You don't see many Southern Baptist deacons start a healing school. But I started a healing school in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I might have 15, 20 people there on a Saturday. I started one the second Saturday of every month. I had seen by this time so many hundreds of people healed. I had went to people's homes one-on-one. I'd go out and talk to people. I don't know how they heard about me. I guess word of mouth. That's the whole thing I know. And, or God moved on their heart. Because it, and it was unfortunate. Most of them I didn't know. But somebody had called and said, Thurman, I'm so-and-so. We heard that you teach people how to be healed. Would you come to our home? I've got a son that's sick or a wife that's sick or whatever. And I said, sure. So I started going. And for many years I went one-on-one. I taught one person at a time. And I saw God do awesome miracles in the realms of healing. One day I thought, Lord, I'm cutting all these people short. I need to get in there and start a healing school. People need to know what you've taught me. And so I didn't advertise. I just said, Lord, I'm going to start a healing school. I said, I'll ask you to bring whoever you want to. And so started out 10, 15 people. And then it got up to where it's 20, 30, 40, 50. And even up now, Then some of my healing schools, I have 100 there. But that's a big healing school for me, 100 people on a Saturday I now go, this last year, I started one on the second Saturday of the month and one on the fourth Saturday of the month. I have people come from all over the world to my healing school. That's amazing. I've had people come from London, from Connecticut, from California, from Florida, all over the United States, but I never have a very big crowd. 50 to 100. But God does awesome things in the realms of healing. This last December the 26th, I just come off of a two-week fast. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I am fed up with playing church. I want to see you do something mighty. I said, I want you to increase my healing school. I want you to teach the body of Christ. I want you to show them what you've showed me. I want you to do great and mighty things. I said, Lord, in the church, we have so many people that are sick and afflicted. And we should not be there with these promises that you've showed me. I said, I want to see you do great and mighty things. The very next morning, the Lord changed me from one radio station to six. And then he began to he give me, I was teaching in my church. By this time, I'd started my own ministry. I had a Sunday service. Every Sunday, I went from a Sunday service to two Bible teachings a week, Tuesday night, Thursday night, schedule from 7 till 9. I try to teach two hours on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night. And we usually start pretty close on 7. And sometimes we get through at 9.30, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30. And when the last person goes home after the last question, the latest I've ever been there is 4 o'clock in the morning. That's what happens as people get healed and delivered. I've learned that people are hungry for God's Word. God's given me some great and awesome revelations, which I am so grateful for. And to see Him do all these wonderful things. And there's several people here today that I've already met that have come from one of my healing schools that have been healed. There is several of those. But anyway, as I started doing this, I'm going to tell you that the greatest test that I ever encountered happened to me two and a half years ago. This is my ultimate test of faith. God put me to the test in the most awesome way to bring me so that I could stand before you today and tell you and share with you his great and awesome power. But it was absolutely my greatest test of faith. On October the 13th, 2001, I had been married to one woman for 41 and a half years. One family, one son, one daughter. And we had a blessed life. My wife had never spent a minute in the hospital. She was 60 years old. I had only been in the hospital one time. We have had a blessed life. The Lord has really blessed us because we've been obedient to serving. We go to church. We tithe. We t- trained our children how to walk with God. We had no problems in our home, no problems with our children. They were wonderful children. My daughter got married when she was about 20. Ten months later, she had a little baby girl. The little girl was three years old. My, wife, my daughter was 24 years old. And my wife and daughter got up on Saturday morning, October the 13th, and started to Brownwood, Texas to see some of our friends for a little birthday party, some of our relatives. I had no idea that morning at 6 o'clock when my wife and daughter left, that morning would be the last day I would ever see them alive. But at 8 o'clock that morning, our enemy, the devil, stopped my wife's heart, driving 70 miles an hour, and she veered into the left lane of an oncoming truck and hit an oncoming truck head-on at 70 miles an hour. It tore my wife's body all to pieces. It also tore my 24-year-old daughter's body all to pieces. And they both were DOA right there. My little three-year-old granddaughter was strapped in the center of the back. A beautiful little six-year-old girl, which we had raised in our home, which was like a granddaughter to me, she was also strapped in the back. I was teaching a healing school in a Baptist church in Hearst, Texas that Saturday. A police officer walked in the back door I saw him back there, and I walked back there. I said, sir, can I help you? We had just started. He said, are you Thurman Scrivener? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a wife named Betty? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you have a daughter named Amanda? I said, yes, sir. He said, sir, there's been an accident. I said, are they injured? He said, sir, they're both deceased. I said, how about the two babies? He said, they care them to Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth, and both of them are in very critical condition." I said, thank you, sir. I remembered what the book of Job said when the enemy was allowed to attack his home. It said, and Job worshipped the Lord. So I didn't fall apart. I turned around and I walked up to the front, realizing I had just had the most severe attack of the enemy that I'd ever had in my life. I began to tell the congregation that was there that day what had happened. And I said, now I want to stop and worship the king. So we did. We worshipped him. And we praised him for his promises. And I said, Lord, I need you to speak to me. I need you to tell me what's going on. I guess you can understand that, can't you? Here I'd been walking with him, seeing him heal bodies, do great and mighty things, and now then they just tell me my wife and daughter is dead and my grandbaby and a little girl like her grandbaby is probably not going to live. We don't understand these kind of things when they happen. But he wouldn't speak to me. I didn't understand why. I now do, but at that time I did not After I worshiped and praised the king for a few minutes, probably 15 or 20 minutes, I told him, I said, we're going to close the healing school. I'm going to load up my stuff and I'm going to get my son and I'm going to go to Cook's Medical Center and I'm going to get those two babies healed. I went home, got my son. I told him that mama and sister were in heaven with the Lord. I said, now, son, we got a battle on our hands. We're going to find out if we believe this book. I drove down to Cook's Medical Center and walked in and met a social worker. And she said, sir, I've got to tell you that Caitlin cannot live. I said, oh, yeah, honey, she's going to live. She said, sir, she cannot live. I said, what's wrong with her? She said, it's obvious that something cut her seatbelt and she was slammed into the seat in front of her when the two vehicles ran head on. She said, sir, her skull is crushed in five places. Her face is tore all to pieces. We don't even know what all's wrong with her in her chest. She's bleeding everywhere. Said her brain stem is severed. Her eyes are disconnected from her brain. Her right knee is crushed and her left leg is broken in two places. Now you're going to find out if you're a man of faith. I walked into that hospital room with this magnificent Bible in my hand. I walked up there and looked at that little three-year-old girl. Blood was running out her eyes, her ears, her nose, her mouth, everything. I could not even tell it was my granddaughter. It was a blob of flesh. I opened this book to one promise. I stood there. I said, Father, you said in John 15:7, If your words remain in me and I remain in you, I can ask you anything and you'll do it for me. You said, I got to believe with no doubt in my heart. I said, Father, I ask you to raise up my grandbaby. I ask you to make her completely well. I ask you to heal that face and I don't want a scar on it. You said, I can ask anything. If I believe you, you will do it. I ask you to raise her up and make her whole. I ask you to let her run and play. I ask you to reconnect her brain stem and her eyes and make her completely well. And I want to thank you for it. And then I turned to every doctor and I said, I guarantee on the word of the living God, you will see my God do a miracle and raise this little girl up and she will run and play again because he made me the promises and I am not taking nothing but what God said for an answer. I sat there beside that bed for the next 10 hours and worshiped and praised the king for his promises. In the process of that, I walked over into the next room where little Kelly Ringstaff was. She was a little daughter that my wife and my daughter had had kept for six years since she was born. Her mother was a traveling lady, and she couldn't keep her baby, so my wife and daughter kept her, so she became like a granddaughter to me. I walked over there and I looked at little Kelly, six years old, her head had busted open right above her eyebrows, laid back about a third of the way back. Her seat belt had helped, but it had crushed both of her pelvics. They said, if she lives, she'll have brain damage. And it'll be a minimum of two and a half to three months before she will be able to stand with a walker. Again, I opened this magnificent book that we take to church with us. And I opened it to John 16, 23 and 24. I said, Father, Jesus made me a promise right there. He said, before now, before this day, you have asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name anything and he'll do it for you. So therefore... Ask anything in my name and I will do it for you so your joy will be full. I said, Lord, with promises like that in your word in John 16, 23 and 24, I said, I'm going to ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus to raise up Kelly Ringstaff. I'm going to ask you to do such a mighty miracle of healing on that little girl that everybody in this hospital will know that you showed up. I turned to all the doctors and nurses and everybody. I said, I guarantee you on the word of the living God, you're going to see my God do the greatest miracle in this little girl you've ever seen because he made me the promises in his word. And I believe those promises with no doubt in my heart. They looked at me like a crazy guy in denial. In one week, one week Kelly Ringstaff was out of ICU. One more week she's out of the hospital walking with a walker and three days later she's thrown the walker away and she's back in school running and playing. Now who could have possibly have done that? Nobody but our Jesus. Nobody but our Jesus could have done that. The enemy had deceived me far too long. Now I'm beginning to understand God's word means exactly what it says. If he says, don't sin, that's what he meant. Don't sin. If he says, walk holy before me, that's what he meant. He said, if you'll walk holy before me, then come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. That's what he meant. So I had now stepped into this realm and I saw little Kelly raised up and out of the hospital and back in school in two and a half weeks. That made such a tremendous impact on her mother. I would used to be at home and as I would be coming in in the afternoon, I'd be so pumped up, I guess you'd say, of the wonderful things that Jesus did. I got to see him do so many things in the workplace. I mean, I've had so many wonderful experiences with God and I've prayed for so many people in the workplace and I've seen him do awesome miracles of healing and restoration into the thousands now. It's just so wonderful to see the king do these mighty things. So I'd be, I'd come in and Dawn would be there with my wife picking up her daughter or something. and I'd, I'd be telling my wife, I'd say, honey, I've got to tell you what Jesus did today. And when I would tell some of these stories, Dawn, she was a typical Christian. She'd just roll her eyes and say, oh, another one of those wild stories of Thurman's. No, those are not wild stories. These stories I tell you are all truth. They're all documented. These are real things that Jesus does. He's the king of the universe. I had no understanding of that for years. But I'm now beginning to understand who I serve. Not who I serve, but who we serve. We serve the king of the universe. And we have come far short because we didn't believe these mighty promises. We said, Lord, if it be your will. He said, if it be my will, don't move my hand. He said, I am not if it be thy will, God. I am a faith God. He said, you come to me with my promises and tell me what you want. And if you're walking in obedience to my word, I'll do it for you. But you must believe me with no doubt in your heart. So... Little Kelly, she's out of the hospital, she's running and playing, back in school. Three months later, I go over to a birthday party, and she's there, of course, and I'm asking her how she's doing. She said, "Oh, Mr. Thurman." She said, "I'm doing great." but she said, "I hate these big old scars." I said, "What scars?" She pulled her bangs up where I could see. I said, "Wow, you do have two big scars on your forehead." She said, "I hate those. That's where her head had been tore all open. I said, "Jesus, don't want those scars on your forehead either, honey." But he cannot take them off until a man of faith prays a prayer of faith, and then and only then can he do it. He has limited himself on this earth to his word, and he said, if we don't ask, he cannot do it. We must ask in faith, and I said John 14, 13 and 14, Jesus gave me a double whammy back to back. He said, ask the Father in my name anything you want, and I'll do it for you. So therefore, ask anything you want, and I will do it for you. So I said, John 14, 13, and 14, on behalf of those two verses, Father, I ask you to remove the scars on Kelly Rangstaff's head. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Thirty days later, those scars are completely gone on Kelly Rangstaff's forehead. We serve an awesome Jesus, folks. We serve an awesome Jesus. So we go back to the story of my granddaughter. She's laying there in ICU at Cook's Medical Center in Fort Worth. And the second Monday morning, we go in on Saturday. The second Monday morning, Dr. Marks, which is head of neurology at Cook's Medical Center, called a meeting with us and said, I do not know how this little girl has lived a week. But he said, this week, we're going to pull the tubes out of her. And when we pull the tubes out of her, so we got the tubes in her that are causing her to breathe and everything. And said, when we pull the tubes out of her, she will die. And you do not want to resuscitate her. I said, sir, she's not going to die. He said, sir i just done the second MRI on this little girl, and there's nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. I said, how about her eyes? He said, they're disconnected too. I said, is there anything wrong with her eyes? He said, no, there's nothing wrong with her eyes, but the little cords that go from the eyes to the brain are disconnected. So he said, there's nothing to tell her to see, nothing to tell her to cough, nothing to tell her to move. Or to breathe or nothing. So he said, when we pull the breathing machine, he said, she will die. I said, oh, no, she won't. I said, the word of God says something different, Dr. Marks. I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Jew. I said, well, good. I said, my Jesus was a Jew. And I said, you're going to get to see the best Jewish physician do the best work you have ever seen. I guarantee it. How many of you know we have the best physician in the universe and his name is Jesus? He's awesome, but we have to believe him. And that's where I had not been doing for the first part of my life. I didn't know the promises of God. And so we went out of that room that day on a Monday morning and the next Thursday morning, Dr. Davis, she's a precious Christian lady. She walked into Caitlin's room that morning and she said, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only living human being I have ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. I said, ma'am, you think my little granddaughter laying there is reality, don't you? She said, well, of course. I said, ma'am, you have trained yourself with your five physical senses. But I've trained myself with the faith realm, the word of God. And I said, it goes a step beyond into the supernatural and it brings God on the scene. I said, I'm going to guarantee you, ma'am, on the word of the living God of John 15:7." When you and all these other doctors pull the tubes out of my grandbaby, she's not only going to breathe on her own, but she's going to breathe over that machine on her own and she's going to cough. Now then, when you go to Mark 11:23, Jesus is speaking and Jesus clearly said, If you can believe with no doubt in your heart, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have whatsoever you say with your mouth. That's written in Mark eleven, twenty-three. So since I knew that promise, I said, I guarantee you on the word of the living God that when y'all pull all them tubes out of my grandbaby, she will not only live, she will breathe over the machine on her own, and she will cough. And all those doctors, knowing, trained by their five physical senses, knowing That they had just done a second MRI and there's nothing attached to her brain. They knew I was crazy. So they just hung their head and pulled all the tubes. And when they pulled all the tubes, she breathed two points over the machine on her own and started coughing. Our Jesus, he is an awesome, awesome God. He is awesome. So over the next few days, she got stronger. She breathed more. She breathed better. But they, st- within two weeks time, after they pulled the tubes, the next Sunday night had been two weeks and one day. Now a little face that was totally destroyed, that was unrecognizable, that was torn and cut all to pieces, I had asked the Father in the name of Jesus to restore that beautiful little face according to those promises, quoting them to Him. And every day, every day, I took a list of these promises and I gave them to my son-in-law. And to my son. And I said, Guys, I want y'all to read the Word of God over her every day. I mean just take this sheet of paper with all these magnificent promises and read them over her every day. When y'all are gone and I'm here, I'll read them and I'll praise and worship the King for his promises that are always yes and amen. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty. For no matter how many promises God made in his word, to you, if you're in Christ, all of his promises to us, the body of Christ. Or yes and amen every time. The answer is never no from God to us, to his children. If we're walking in obedience to his word, with all our sins confessed, all of his promises are yes to his children every time. So, as they read these over that, by that second Sunday evening, I left that Sunday afternoon and she had one great big red deal left over one eye. Every cut and bruise on her face had been healed without a scar And when I walked back in Monday afternoon, that little face was as beautiful as it was before the accident, laying there without a single scar or a single mark on that beautiful little face. So as I continued to sit there and praise the king and worship him over her, she got better and stronger. And we came out of ICU. The doctor, when they pulled the tubes, he said, sir, we need to do surgery on that right knee. I told him, no, sir, we're not going to do surgery on the right knee. He said, sir, the kneecap is crushed. He said, she will never walk again. I said, oh, yes, she will. I said, sir, I've stepped into a realm of faith. God made me a promise and I'm trusting him and him alone. No one else. He said, I've got to do surgery. I said, no, sir. No surgery on her knee. He said, can I at least put a cast on the leg to hold it straight? Her daddy said, Thurman, please let, let him put a cast on it. I said, OK, put a cast on it. They put a cast on her leg. It heals supernaturally. They took the cast off and without a single surgery on that little girl, we went home. After 30 days in ICU, I took her out and the doctor says, I do not understand how this little girl has lived. I said, sir, she's lived because I believe this book, the word of my God. His name is Jesus. He said, well, there's something there. That something's happened. He said, I just don't understand. But he said, take a wheelchair and we'll make her a special one because she'll motorize one because she'll never walk. I said, I do not receive that curse. I said, that little girl will walk. She will run. She will play. He said, sir, that's impossible. I said, sir, you're going by what you see and not the word. So I took the word of God with my grandbaby. I took her home. I would not put her in a wheelchair. I carried her. I would not roll her out of that hospital in a wheelchair. I would not show unbelief. I carried her. I took her home. I set her down in the bed and I'd set her up and say, Caitlin, honey, in the name of Jesus, I command your body to be strong and for you to set up. And I'd turn her loose and she'd fall down. I'd pick her back up. I mean, when you started training your children to walk, the first time you picked them up and stood them up and said, walk, you turned them loose and they fell down. Did you stop? No. I picked mine up again and I said, in the name of Jesus. And I did that over and over and over until she could set up in the bed. Then I took her out of the bed and stood her up and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command your little body to be strong where you can stand in the name of Jesus. And i'd turn her loose and she'd fall on the floor i'd done that over and over until she could stand and then i commanded her to walk and i did that over and over and over until she could walk she's now walking she was doing these but she's still blind her eyes were disconnected from her brain i took her back on december the 30th of 2001 to dr marx and he looked at her and when he saw her walking down that corridor holding my finger he come grabbed her up he said would you look at this and he picked her up and took her in his office He's beginning to check her and examine her. And I said, Dr. Marks, what do you think about my Jesus now? He said, sir, all I got to say to you is somebody a whole lot bigger than me put this little girl back together. But January the 6th, she was still blind. We had just built a brand new Baptist church. That church where we'd been going there in Justin at that time, I had not started my own ministry. I was still teaching and going to Sunday school and everything in a normal Southern Baptist church there in Justin, Texas. We didn't even have a pastor at that time. We had a fine young man there as the, uh, in charge of the young department there, Derek Draper. He's a fine young man, great example for the young people, a great man of God. He was all we had as a pastor. We had an interim pastor from the seminary come over to preach for us on Sunday. That Sunday morning, January the 6th, 2002, we opened that sanctuary brand new. We had the first service in that, that place And then I asked anybody that would. There was 400 people there that day. And I asked anybody that would, that believed that God would open my grandbaby's eyes. I invited them that afternoon at 2 p.m. to come and pray with me and stand on God's promises so the king could reconnect my grandbaby's eyes to her brain. And for a Southern Baptist church, no offense, folks, there was about 30 out of 400 showed up. And that's pretty good. That's pretty good because we've, we've not been trained right. We're just like I was the first 45 years of my life. I didn't believe God could do all these wonderful things. I had never seen him do anything. But now I do believe he will. And I know he will. And so I told him that day, I said, if you believe God will do what he says he will do, I want you to come and pray with me. I said, if you don't believe he will, then I don't want you there. Because I don't want unbelievers there. Unbelief is what keeps God's power from flowing. So that afternoon, 30 people came and we met, and about ten people from other churches that I had invited, friends of mine, we put my little blind granddaughter which could now walk out in the middle of a big circle in that brand new sanctuary, and we prayed, stood on God's mighty promises for two solid hours. We prayed on our face before our king. We took her home. she still couldn't see a thing. But three weeks later, Caitlin and I was upstairs sitting there playing. And she had these little stands that's got these little plastic, different-sized donuts on them. Some of you will know what I'm talking about for children. And she would get these things, and before she'd be, she'd feel around to find the little stand, and she'd put the donut on there. All of a sudden, while we're sitting there, I picked up one of the little donuts and was going to take it off, and I dropped it, and it rolled off over here, and it fell over. She just reached right over there and got it. And then she put it right back on the stand, and I thought, boy, that's unique. And so I took the donut back off and I moved the stand over to another place. And then I laid the little donut over there and I said, Caitlin, honey, get the red donut that Granddaddy just laid down and put it back on the stand. She reached right over out of all of them, got the red one and put it right on the stand. And Granddaddy went berserk. I mean, I jumped up and down, began to praise and worship the king. See what the Lord says. Hebrews 10:35 and 36. i would learned those scriptures well. He says, do not cast away your confidence, but you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. This is where I used to miss it. I think, you know, when Jesus did things in the New Testament, most of those were miracles or instantaneous healings. But now I've realized that he does miracles and that's one of the gifts, the nine gifts of the spirit, the gift of miracles. But the gift of healing is also usually done instantaneously. But God promised to heal every one of us every time if we will walk in obedience to his word. And when I learned that principle and learned how to stand on his word, I have seen the king heal awesome things to do mighty things. He's done those things for me. Then after we got our eyes back, we still got a problem when we go home. The doctor tells me, he said, we do not understand why this little valve in Caitlin's throat does not work. But it does not work. So he said, don't feed her anything by mouth, because if you do, it'll run directly into her lungs and kill her. Now, if a doctor tells you that, what are you going to do? You're going to do exactly what I did. You're going to believe him and you're not going to feed her because you don't want to kill your grandbaby. So I go home and I. there is a magnificent promise in this book. Mark 11:24 Mark 11:24 the king says whatever you desire when you pray believe you have received it and it shall be yours Now is that an awesome statement from our king or is that an awesome statement I used to not believe these promises but now I am beginning to do all I can to believe it when the king makes these awesome statements that they're for me and that they will work for me And so I take that verse, I said, Lord, I desire that the valve in my grandbaby's throat work. So I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to fix it and let it work. And I said, Lord, thank you for it. So for the rest of the two months, I would praise and worship and thank him that the valve was working. We'd take her back to the doctor. And the doctor said, bring her back in two months and we'll check it. So I brought her back in two months and he checked it and he said, it don't work. I said, it don't work? I don't understand this. But he said it don't work. So I go home and I open my Bible and I look at that verse again, Mark 11:24. Jesus clearly said, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you've received it and it shall be yours. I said, Lord, I don't understand how I could possibly mess that up. You made that so simple. So I said, Lord, I ask you to fix the valve in her throat. And I'd praise him and worship him for two months and we'd take her back to the doctor and it wouldn't work. We go through this scenario for 10 months. Every two months for ten months. And that valve does not work. After the tenth month, I come home and I literally lock myself up with this book. And I said, Lord, you said you... In Psalm 66, 18, you said you do not hear the prayer of a sinner. You said in Romans 14, 23, anything I do that's not of faith is sin. So, Lord, I've got to have sinned somewhere and made a mistake. Otherwise, this valve would be working. I said, Father... In the name of Jesus, would you please show me what I've done wrong? I get this book out. Now, I diligently spend all this time over the next few days. I am meditating on this word. I am concentrating on this verse, Mark 11:24. It's hard to believe that a grown man as educated as I am have to meditate on one verse for two weeks. But finally, after two weeks, I got revelation. The Lord says to them that diligently seek me, if you'll dig into my word like you're mining for silver and gold, then I will reveal myself to you. After two weeks, I read that again. Whatever you desire, stop. I desire that the valve in my grandbaby's throat work, Lord. He said, then when you pray, believe you've received, and it shall be yours. Not two months later when you take her to the doctor. So I said, Lord, I have sinned. I didn't believe your word. I ask you, Father, to forgive me for my sin of unbelief. I repent. I said, now, Father, on behalf of Mark 11:24, I desire the vow work in my grandbaby's throat. I said, thank you, Father. It's done. I walk across the street to her house. I tell her daddy. I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, the valve works in her throat this morning. He said, Thurman, we just come back from the doctor two weeks ago and it didn't work. I said, I know it didn't work two weeks ago. It didn't work earlier this morning. But I said, right now it works. He said, how do you know it works? I said, because the word says it does. He said, what are you telling me? I said, God's waiting on you and me. What am I supposed to do? He says, I said, you're supposed to feed her. If we believe this book. We have to act on this book because God says, faith without works is dead. You must believe me with no doubt in your heart or you're double-minded and unstable and I need won't do a thing for you. I said, Toby, God's word cannot fail. I said, feed her. He said, Thurman, you're crazy. I said, Toby, did the doctor say she'd die? He said, yes. I said, did she die? He said, no. I said, did the doctor say that she had never breathed? He said, yes. I said, is she breathing? He said, yes. I said, did the doctor say she'd never walk? He said, yes. I said, is she walking? He said, running and playing. I said, the doctor said she'd never see. I said, is her eyes back? He said, yes. I said, don't you think it's time that we believe God's word all the way? He said, okay. What do you want me to do? I said, you got anything in here for her to eat? He said, I got a little can of applesauce. I said, open it. Put in a bowl. He said, I got a little bottle of juice here. I said, set it down there. I called Caitlin. I said, Caitlin, honey. She was in the bedroom playing. I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. I said, we'd been feeding her through a plug in her tummy for 10 months. Every morning, noon, and night, I'd plug a little pump that they give us with a little deal into her stomach, feed a liquid diet directly into her stomach. I've been feeding her like that for 10 months. I said, come in here, Caitlin, honey. Sit down in that chair. Set up her and eat that applesauce for granddaddy. How many of you know that's going to be one of the greatest tests you ever went through? That's my only grandbaby at the time. And the daughter of mine that brought her into the world is in eternity with God. And I'm either going to trust this book and it's going to work for me or I'm a fool and I'm going to kill her. One of the two. She sat at that table. She ate that entire bowl of applesauce. She drank that bottle of juice and she dumped down and run and played. And from that day to this, that valve has worked perfect.
1: You know, I've got to see little Caitlin. Caitlin, would you come here to your granddad?
2: Caitlin, honey, come to granddaddy. Come on, sugar. Come on. Here. Come on, honey. Here she is. Here she comes. Come on, sugar. Come right around here. Come on. Come on, honey. She's five years old now. Come right here, honey. Come up here and step up here. Come up to granddaddy.
1: Oh, that's a big step.
2: Yeah. Come on. Come on, sugar. Praise the Lord. What a God uh, we serve.
1: Caitlin, are you still ticklish? <laughs> if I was to go right, right here, would could I tickle you? <laughs> uh, do you love your granddad? Yep. Would you kiss him? Would you kiss your granddad? Mm-hmm. You're my
2: sweetheart. Your
1: yeah, you know, she wouldn't be here today if you didn't believe God. That's right. Yeah. Oh, you're tickling me. <laughs> I see what you do, Ka. turn about his fair play. The
2: little girl is six years old now. The other afternoon, when I came home, about five o'clock, she was out there in the driveway on her bicycle, riding her bicycle all over the place. Let me tell you, I used to think I knew what faith was, but I didn't have a clue. And then when Mr. Gothard asked me to speak at this seminar, and I think about this magnificent statement, I have had the privilege to step over into the realm of faith just a little. When our king makes us a statement like he did in Ephesians 3.20, he said, and I know many of you know that uh, us that are Christians, and especially Baptist Christians, we're pretty familiar with the word because we're word people. But I realized most of you probably are just like I was. I really didn't believe these promises. But when I realized if I believed them, our king would show up for me. I realized that when he makes these awesome statements, like Ephesians 3.20, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can even think or imagine, according to the power that worketh. In you. Where is that power? It's in you. It's in me. And who is that power? It's Christ. This is the mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Colossians 2 verse 3 says all the secrets of the universe are hidden in Christ. If they're all in Christ and he's in you then all you've got to do is learn how to pray in faith and you can tap into this awesome realm to see God do these great and mighty things that he's doing. And I know that when God called me out as an engineer out of the workforce and began to reveal to me these mighty truths as I would build and design equipment and buildings, I first begin to learn how to use these things and do these things in the workplace. I would ask the Lord as I would begin to see this. I would ask him for everything. I mean, they could give me a piece of equipment or something somewhere that wouldn't work. And since I was the regional engineer, if nobody else could fix it, they would ask me to see if I could either get somebody to fix it or I could figure it out. Well, every time, without fail, I would always stop and pray. People thought I was a little bit strange. You know, in the workplace, I say, guys, let's stop. I'm going to ask the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus to give me revelation and wisdom and understanding on this wiring diagram so I can fix this problem. And without fail, he always revealed to me how to do it. And I was always able to fix everything without fail. After I began to build buildings, one of the, and back in 1983, as I'm learning, just learning what faith is, I've not stepped into the realm of the healing ministry yet, but I'm stepping into the realm of the, the world, the business world that I'm in. In 1983, our executive VP from our corporate headquarters in Washington, D.C., came down and gave me an impossible task. On 15th day of May, 1983, he walked in and said, Thurman, we need to renovate this 25,000 square foot building and we need to build, add 20,000 square feet on the back side of it. And he said, we need it done as quickly as possible. I said, well, what is as quick as possible? He said, we need to move into it by the last day of July. This is the 15th day of May, June, July, and you want to move in the last day of July? You want me to renovate 25000 You want me to add 20000 to it? I said, well, where's, where's all the plans and details? I oh, said, we don't have those yet. He said, we'll have those in a few days. He said, I got a floor plan that will be available tomorrow, and then I'll next day express mail it down to you. And said you take that to dfw airport and see if they'll give you the okay to start i said bill his name was bill also i said bill DFW airport's not going to give me okay to start on a building a renovation and a, an addition without at least six or eight sets of specs and drawings and they're going to need to review them for three to five weeks he said do what you can i go home when he leaves and i get down on my knees i said lord the task he just gave me is impossible No man can do this task. But I said, with you, all things are possible. You said it in your word. I said, Father, in this case, I cannot find in your word where you said it is your will for me to build a building in this length of time. But you did say, ask anything, and if I believe you would do it. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to give me the knowledge and the wisdom and give me the favor With the airport and everyone, so I can get this building built for my company. And I said, they give me 1.1 million dollars to do it, and I ask you to let me come in under budget, and I'll always give you all the glory and the praise for doing it. I said, thank you, Father, but it's your final decision, of course. And so I got up that next morning and went to work. I walked there in front of this 25,000 square foot building I was looking at. At seven o'clock in the morning and I'm just standing there looking and all of a sudden an electrical truck pulls in from a big electrical contractor and two electricians get out and walk over and he said, are you Mr. Scribner? I said, yes, sir. He said, our boss said to come out here, you need some electrical work done. I said, who sent you? He said, my boss. I said, who called you? He said, I don't know. My boss just said for us to come out here and see you. You needed some help. I looked up right there and I said, Lord, this is your will. I know this is a done deal. I took him in and showed him where I wanted to start. We started renovating that building. I took, that morning, I took that one set of floor plans I had over to Al Magazine, which is in charge of airport planning and zoning at DFW Airport. And I said, Al, this may be a little strange, but I, my company wants me to renovate this 25000 and add 20000 to it, and this is all I got right now. I said, what are the chances of me getting started and getting things in place to make this come to pass? He threw the drawings out there and looked at him. He said, Arthur, oh, your company's a good company. You're a good man. I can trust you. He said, as soon as you get the drawings and the details, bring us to us. In the meantime, he said, do what you want to do. I walked out that door totally dumbfounded. I said, Lord, you absolutely blow me away in what you do and how you move on the hearts of men when we act in faith. I built that building and finished it and completely had it completely done and ready to move into Six days before the end of July with $100,000 left over. That just shows you what God will do if you believe him. So see, God is working with us in the business world. He's working with us in our health world. But he's our God. And he's a faith God and he wants us to ask and believing so he can do these mighty things. Well, as I saw the Lord do that, of course, I didn't have much time at home during those two and a half months. I was at work every day except Sunday. Sunday, I still took Sunday off. I taught my Sunday school class. But I talked about Jesus every day, every day in the workplace. I talked to somebody, led people to Jesus on a regular basis. But I ran the show, and we got that whole thing did. At At the end of that, the Lord says, of course, when Bill came down, Bill Martin was his name, come down from our Washington office... And told me what he wanted me to do the 15th day of May. I said, Bill, in June, my wife and I have planned a vacation with our children. I said, if I start this messy project, I'm not going to have time to take a couple of weeks of vacation. He said, no, Thurman, no vacation for you this summer. I said, "Okay, okay, I'll do what you say. I went home, broke the news to my family. I'm sorry. I said, but I can't take a vacation this summer. We'll just have to wait till next summer. Well, at the end of that, the project finished. And the day I got it finished, he called me and said, Thurman, you got that place in great shape. He said, uh, "I want to do something for you." I said, "Well, what's that?" He said, "I want you to go home and ask your wife where y'all want to go. That there's a Marriott Resort Hotel anywhere in the United States of America, and we're going to send you on a two-week all-expense-paid vacation." I said, "Wow!" So I go home and tell my wife. I said, "Where do you want to go?" She said, "That's simple, honey. Hawaii." <laughs> that's simple for her, wasn't it? I said, "Honey, I'm not sure he meant all the way over there." Well, she said, "He said anywhere." I said, "Well, you're right. That's what he said." So I went back and called Mr. Martin, and I said, sir, you may not have meant Hawaii, but that's where my wife wants to go. He said, Hawaii, Thurman. He said, you saved us $100,000, you can come in, and he saved us another $30,000 in rents. He said, the least I can do is send you anywhere you want to go. The next day, express mail, they had all the tickets, everything laid out, and they said, my wife and my daughter and my son and not myself, on a two-week, all-expense-paid vacation all to all the islands of Hawaii, come back, spent a few days in California, went to Disneyland, all those places. And the next next summer, my daughter said, Daddy, when are you going to work hard again so we get another long vacation? (laughs) But is our God a rewarder of them who diligently seek him? Yes, he is. And he'll pour his blessings out upon you. Now then, as I begin to step into these realms of faith and begin to see God do all these mighty things, Slowly but surely, I began to start praying for people in the workplace. And then I began to understand, as I started praying for people in the workplace, and I started seeing God do little answers to my prayers. I'd see him meet somebody's need, or I'd see him heal a headache, or whatever. But then one day, I had a unique experience, and there was a... I come home on a Wednesday night from an out-of-town trip, and my wife said, Honey, Ed Brock which was one of the men that went to church at Lakeland Baptist Church in Louisville, Texas. She said, Ed has been to the doctor today, and I don't think he's doing very well. She said, I think you better go see him tonight. So I jumped back in my pickup, and I drove up to Louisville to the hospital, and I found his room, and I went up and knocked on his door, and his lovely little wife, Ruthie, she came to the door, and I said, Ruthie, how's Ed? She said, Thurman, he's no good. He's been diagnosed, said they done surgery on him today, He he happened to be 42 years old at the time. She said they opened him up and looked inside of him, and he had stage 4 lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of his body. He only has a few weeks left to live. There's nothing they can do. Just as clear as I have ever heard in my life, I'm standing within three feet of this precious, beautiful lady, wife of his, and I hear this voice. Son, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him and I'll heal him. Now, as a Southern Baptist deacon, I'd never seen anything like that. That put me to the test in the healing realm. So for the first time in my life, I go home. I had God in a little bitty box. <laughs> I remember walking down that corridor at the hospital looking up saying, Lord, you didn't hear what she said. She said he has terminal cancer. Now I had God in a little teeny box about this bit. I didn't realize who he was. I said, Lord, you didn't understand. You didn't hear what he said. She said he has terminal cancer. I can only see the king look down at me and said, Son, if you ever get a hold of who I am, you'll never doubt me again. And unfortunately, that's where I was. But I went home that night, and for the first time in my life, I began to do something I had never done. I began, although I'd been a Sunday school teacher for 20 plus years, I had never looked up by topic under healing. I began to open the Bible. I began to find all kinds of promises God made for healing the body of his church. Even the unbelievers. I thought, Lord, this is awesome. And then a, several hours later, I came upon a guarantee, if it's done according to the word, to heal every Christian every time if they'll do what the word of God says. James 5:14, 15, and 16, the king makes you this statement. Is any sick among you? Who would that include? That's all of us. Any sick among you. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith. Not an unbelieving prayer. But a prayer of faith. Not a prayer if it be your will. But a prayer of faith. Shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise you up. And if your sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will forgive your sin, and I will raise you up. Therefore, the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I thought, Lord, that's awesome. That is a guarantee from you to heal every one of us every time if we'll just believe you. But then I heard for the first time in my life, I was fixing to step into a realm that was so supernatural I, for the first time in my life, heard the authoritative voice of our enemy. And this voice said, oh, you've just read that before. That's just, that was in your subconscious. And when you were standing down there in front of that room, that was not really God that spoke to you. I mean, I'm a little bit confused at this point. I went to bed that Wednesday night thinking I might be having a mental breakdown. I didn't know what was happening. I knew so little about the spirit world. But Monday, Sunday morning, when we woke up Sunday morning, I turned over and looked at my wife and I said, honey, I've got to tell somebody. She said, what? What have you done? I said, honey, I'm hearing God's voice. She said, well, my goodness, if you're hearing God's voice, what does he say? I said, he told me to tell Ed Brock to call the men of the church to pray over him and he'll heal him. Thank God for good women. She said, well, my goodness, honey, if God told you to do that, what are we waiting for? Let's go tell him. And I thought, here she is. She's not heard it. She only heard it from me. This is the fourth time I've heard God speak to me, and that woman of mine's got more faith than I do. I said, Lord, thank you for a good woman. So we went over to Ed and Ruthie Brock's that, Saturday, that Sunday afternoon after church. I said, Ed, the doctors have sent Ed home to die. I said, Ed, I have a word from God for you. And it's written right here in James 5 14, 15, and 16. He said, Well, what does it mean? I said, Open your Bible. He opened his Bible, and we read that magnificent promise. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint him at all, and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise you up. And if you've committed a sin, or your sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will forgive you, and I, the Lord, will heal you. He read that, and he said, Thurman. He said, I'm 42 years old. I've been in church all my life. He said, I have never heard that verse preached on from the pulpit. I've never heard it taught in a Sunday school class. He said, if a verse that powerful still works, somebody would have taught us that verse. I said, maybe they're like me, Ed. Maybe they didn't know it's in there. But I said, it's in God's Word. How many of you know if it's written in God's Word, it's there for a purpose? He said, Thurman, I can't believe it. I said, Ed, let me tell you this. What if I told you I heard God's voice first and he told me to tell you to do this? He said, you're going to tell me you heard God's voice? I said, yes, sir. He said, Thurman, you must think I'm crazy. He said, I never heard nobody say they heard God's voice. I said, Ed, I heard it in front of your room and he told me to tell you to do what he said in James 5.14. He said, well, Thurman, I just don't believe that. So I prayed with him went home. A few days later, Ed Brock's back in the hospital in Louisville. His lungs filling up and he's dying. I go back again. And I open this book and I read that verse to him. And he said, Thurman, I want God's will to be done, but I don't know what it is. I thought, here I stand in front of this man with a blood covenant sealed in the blood of our king. And he told me exactly what he would do. All I got to do is pray the prayer of faith. And you don't know what his will is. I said, it's right here. He said, Thurman, I can't believe it. See, that's the problem. We can't believe it. It's too wonderful to be true. So he wouldn't believe. So I leave again. They pump his lungs out, send him home, stays home a few days, comes back worse. I go back. I hear he's back there again. Bobby Thompson was the chairman of deacons at Lakeland Baptist Church at the time, and I was getting ready to go visit Ed when Jane, she called and said, Betty, we hear Ed's back in the hospital. She said, yes, and Thurman's just fixing to go see him. I said, Bobby wants to go with him. So he came up by my house, and we drove up there. I walked in and opened this Bible again, and I said, Ed, don't die. Do what God says, and he's going to heal you. He said, Thurman, I, I just... I just don't know what God's will is. I said, Ed, I'm telling you, God's will is this book. If He said it, He's ready to back it up. If we do it exactly like He said, He said, oh man, I just can't believe it. I said, Ed, Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word. I said, when you get home, when you do get out of this hospital, when you get home this time, you open the book to James 5:14, 15, and 16, and you read those three verses, and don't read them silently. It didn't say faith comes by reading. It said faith comes by hearing. So I said, read the word of God out loud until faith comes. And when it does, I said, didn't you call me and I'll get some men together and we'll come up and we'll pray for you. And I'm going to guarantee you God's going to heal you because he made you the promise in his word. We walked out there and Bobby Thompson, we walked out to my pickup and I leaned on the tailgate of my pickup. I was, I was just heartbroken. He said, Thurman, you're completely convinced That if he does that, God's going to heal him. I said, Bobby, I know it because it's written in this book. So we prayed and rebuked the enemy that was blinding his mind. And asked the Lord to give him revelation and wisdom on the word of God. Monday night of the third week, I walked into my house at 6 p.m. in the afternoon. My phone was ringing. I reached up and got it. And he said, Thurman, he said, he said, I've been reading those verses over and over and over. And he said, that's what they say. He said, I don't want to die. I'm only 42 years old. He said, I want to live. He said, I'm too weak to call anybody but you. He said, you call the men and have them meet us up at the chapel at 7 o'clock and I'll have Ruthie drive me up there at 7. I said, I'll do it. I pick up my list of deacons at Lakeland Baptist Church and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, give me the names of the men you want me to call. I went down through the list and probably called 6, 7, 8, maybe 10 of them. I told each one of them. I said, you guys read James 5, 14, 15, and 16. And call anybody else you want to and tell them to meet us at the chapel in an hour at 7 o'clock. And we're going to pray for Ed Brock tonight and we're going to expect Ed to get well. I said, come expecting God to do what he promised in his word. That morning I had stopped by and bought a bottle of olive oil. My first experience with healing. When I get to the church at 7, Ed's there and men start coming in. I don't know if your Baptist church or whatever kind of church you go to is like mine. But it's impossible on Monday afternoon at 7 o'clock. To get 28 men to come pray for a sick man with terminal cancer. But that's how many showed up. 28 men showed up that afternoon at 7 o'clock and we walked in and here I walk in with this little sack in my hand. He said, What do you got in that sack, Thurman? I said, A bottle of olive oil. He said, Where'd you get it? I said, At Tom Thumb. He said, You ever done this before? I said, No. He looked at me and his countenance fell and he said, Oh, great. Here I am with a man with a bottle of oil from Tom Thumb, and I got stage four lymphoma terminal cancer, and we think I'm going to get well. How much faith do you think there was in that room? Just almost zero. But praise God, our God is a merciful God. I said, Ed, I don't know what to do other than just set you down right here in the middle of chapel. I said, I want you to take off your shirt, because I'm going to pour this oil on you and rub it in you. I didn't know what to do. I would never done this. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? It's a good thing. It wasn't a woman, huh? I guess I'd have told her to take her blouse off. You know, who knows what I did, but it was a man. And so I took his shirt off of him. I set him right in the middle. I poured that oil right down, right behind his head and started running down his hair and his back. And I just started rubbing it in his back. And I said, guys, just start praying. So guys prayed. We cried. We prayed. Everybody prayed. We prayed two hours. At that time, that was the longest prayer meeting I'd ever been in my life in a Baptist church. I'd never been in a prayer meeting more than a few minutes. You know, but this time it was two hours and our God heard our plea. We left there. Now, God did not do a miracle on Ed, because I'm going to tell you what, if he had done a miracle healing, and this is another reason God doesn't do so many miracles for us today. Because I'm going to assure you, if he had done a miracle healing and Ed Brock had been instantly made well and jumped up and started jumping up and down, God had had 28 heart attacks to take care of. (laughs) Do you all know where I'm coming from? We had never seen God do a healing or a miracle in our life in our in that Lakeland Baptist church in Louisville, Texas. Never. But Ed began to get well. He began to go. He gets a feeling so good that the doctor said, we don't understand, Mr. Brock, what's wrong with you? But he says, this thing that was all over your body appears to be going away. Maybe we ought to send you down to M.D. Anderson in Houston and let them give you some treatments. Before it was impossible, but now it's going away. Isn't that something? Now that it's going away, we're still going to go and let the doctors help us when God's healing him? It's awesome how little faith we have in our God. So Ed starts going down to M.D. Anderson. The doctors, they give him treatments at the... About six months, four, five or four or five, six months, whatever it was, Ruthie had given him the New Testament on tape to listen to as he was driving that four or five hours from Louisville to Houston. And about the fifth or sixth month, they told him, said, Mr. Brock, we do not understand. When you came in here, you had a certain level of cancer. We had a half a dozen other people that were about the same place that you were. And we, you responded so awesomely to the treatments That we gave them the same exact treatment and said, without fail, they all died. But he said, you today have not a sign of cancer left in your body. We do not understand this, but you're totally healed. So Ed, of course, was a very happy person. He goes out and gets in his vehicle. Now, he's listening to the word of God on tape going down there. He goes out and gets in his vehicle. He said, I am so happy. No cancer. They tell me, don't even come back for at least six months for another checkup. I'm doing, I'm just, it's gone. So he said, I reach over and say, Lord, thank you. And I hit that play button on that tape recorder. And he said, Thurman, you'll never guess what that said. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith shall make the sick well. He said, then the tape recorder stopped on its own. And for the first time in my life, I heard God speak to me in that authoritative voice. He said, Ed, it was not MD Anderson that healed you. It was me. Ed said, tears came in my eyes. I couldn't see to drive. I pulled off to the side of the road and I stopped and I worshiped and praised the Lord until I regained my composure. And then he said, I drove home. All of these experiences I've had the privilege to see the King do has changed my walk with God forever. And because of these things, is why I teach a healing school in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex two times a month. And that's why I see people healed and delivered all the time. And I'm going to tell you all that I film every one of those healing schools on video and audio tape. I have a website that's tlsm, thelivingsaviorministries.org. And I have many of those video and audio tapes listed on there. And I don't sell anything I do. I give everything away. Any of you that wants any of my information, if you'll go to that website, you can get my phone number, my address, and anybody that wants anything I have, it's free. Now, with a group this size, if you want, I won't be able to send more than two videos and four or five audios at a time. Because I'm limited on what I have. But if anybody wants anything, I will send anything you want to you, free and postpaid. Because what I do is God. And He's the one that does everything. I don't do nothing except teach His Word and pray for the sick. And He does the rest of it. And so I'll make that blank check to you. Since God says give, and it'll be given to you. He's given to me these wonderful things. I'll give to you anything that I have. And I want you to come up to where I have come up to because I know God has called me in these last days to teach the body of Christ faith and how to walk in it so we can overcome the enemy that our king defeated on the cross 2,000 years ago. Praise the Lord. Now, if Bill would allow me, I would like for any of you that if your faith is at a level and you need anything from God... I will be willing to pray the prayer of faith with you according to Matthew 18:19, where our king says, this is our king talking to us. He said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, I will do it for you. That's for you and me. And if two of us agree, he will do it. So if you need anything from the Lord right now, I realize in a group like this, I cannot possibly minister to each one of you. But I would like for you to make sure that you know that your sins are all confessed. That you believe God and any kind of need you have. Believe Him. Believe Him. And if you will, I will pray the prayer of faith for you right now. And as I pray the prayer of faith for you, when I get through, I want you to say, Lord, I agree with that man of yours. And I'm your son or I'm your daughter. And I agree that what I'm believing you for right now is mine. And if you'll believe with no doubt in your heart... He will do great and mighty things. He will move through this crowd of people. And many of you will receive an awesome, awesome thing from the Lord today. Can I pray that prayer of faith for them, Bill? Father, upon Matthew eighteen nineteen, the prayer of agreement. Father, I want to thank you that you're here today. That you're the king of the universe. That your son is here and your Holy Spirit's here. Because we're here, gathered in your name. And you said, if just two of us are gathered in your name, you're here. So, Lord, there's thousands here in your name. So, Lord, I praise you for these promises. Now, Lord, for each one of these people, I don't know their need, but you do. So I ask you, Father, to meet their needs, whether they have back problems or headaches or pains or whatever their need is. I ask you, Father, I rebuke the enemy and command him to leave these people and that you send the Holy Spirit to heal and restore your people And to meet all their needs right now in the name of Jesus. And I want to thank you for doing it. For each one that believes you with no doubt in their heart. And I thank you. It's done. Because it's written in your word. In Jesus name. Amen. If you can agree with the prayer for yourself. Just say out loud. Lord I agree for myself. And I'm healed or I'm delivered. Or my needs are met. Finances or whatever they are. And believe him. And then continue to stay in faith. Don't cast away your confidence in the Word and go thanking Him and praising Him and many of you will receive great and awesome gifts and healings and thanks from our Lord. He is our.
3: I'd like for you tonight now to get your mind on Jesus. Forget about Betty Baxter, I cannot really help you. It's Jesus that's here tonight. He's the one that is here to meet your needs. Just relax in His presence, forget what you did today. But get all the duties you've got to do tomorrow. And let's sit in his presence and see what he will do for us tonight. If you have your Bibles, i would like to turn with me. I'm reading from the 13th chapter of Luke's gospel and the 11th verse. And this is my very favorite scripture while I was sick and crippled because this is a picture of what I was exactly before the Lord came and set me free. The 13th chapter of Luke and the 11th verse. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself And when Jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her Woman thou art loosed from thine infirmity And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God Heavenly Father we bow in your presence tonight and we're so thankful that we have this privilege and opportunity together to worship you I ask your Lord now that one more time you bless this stories you have blessed it many times before I pray Lord that men and women may see Jesus in this service as they've never quite seen him before walk the aisles of this sanctuary blessing and speaking to every heart and meeting every need. You know the need of everyone in divine presence. Those that are here that are sick in body, reach out and touch them, Lord, and make them whole. I pray especially if there should be one here that doesn't know you as personal Savior. I pray they'll not leave this service without accepting you as their own Savior and Lord. Bless us now tonight and make us a blessing. And we'll be careful to praise you for we ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. I can never remember the time in my life of ever being healthy, well, and strong, and normal like other children, but my childhood memories are of doctors, hospitals, and much pain in my body. From the time that I was little, doctors had said that I would never live to grow up. And so you that were here this morning, I told how at the age of nine, I had the greatest experience in my life, and that was when I met Jesus, and he came into my heart. And he lives there tonight. He's never left. He lives inside my heart because I talked to him this afternoon. I know he's still living there. The time went by and the pain grew worse. My heart grew worse until doctors said it was enlarged almost twice its normal size. I couldn't eat because the organs in my stomach were dropped and out of place. And at the age of 11, our own family doctor, Dr. Bailey in Fairmont said, There's nothing I can do for her. I can't even ease the pain she's suffering. I have to take those strong painkillers away because of the condition of her heart. He said, there's one more place I want to send her. They actually won't be able to help her. But maybe at least they can do something that will ease the pain she's suffering. So one blizzardy stormy night, Mama in the ambulance with me, they took me to a great hospital in the state of Minnesota where they say they have the finest specialists that can be found anywhere. I was kept there almost four weeks. And during that time, I had a specialist for every part of my body. They were busy taking tests and they were doing scans and they were testing every day of the four weeks that I was there. When the time came after the four weeks nearly were up, the head doctor that I had came to my bedside and he said, I've got a surprise for you. I've called your hometown. Your daddy's on his way. The ambulance has come. I'm going to send you home. I was excited and thrilled because I thought if they've kept me this long and they're sending me home, then surely they're sending me home to live. And I was excited. The ambulance came. They put me on the stretcher, wheeled me to the elevator to take me to first floor and daddy was beside the stretcher when the doctor came up and said Mr. Baxter I want to talk to you before you leave and daddy said all right he said, he pointed at me as I lay on the stretcher and said, tell me, how much does the child know about her sickness? And daddy said, she knows as much as we do. We've never kept anything a secret from her. Everything doctors have told us, we have told her. The doctor said, then it's all right to talk in front of her. And daddy said, sure. And I thought, now he's going to tell daddy about some kind of miracle medicine they found that's going to make me well. I could not believe I was hearing right when I heard the doctor say, we have here the finest specialist that can be found anywhere. We've done everything possible for but there's nothing more medical science can do for he told my daddy don't try and find another doctor don't spend any more money on specialists medical science has done all they're able to do she has but a short time left to live take her home and keep her as happy as possible I started to cry and I didn't want daddy to see me crying So I shut my eyes not knowing that the tears hold down my face anyway. They put me in the ambulance, gave me oxygen, and took me home. They carried me into the room where I'd spent most of my life, went out and shut the door. I sobbed and cried as though my heart would break. I was 11 years of age and I was terminal, sent home to die. When I travel across the United States and overseas, I have healing lines everywhere I go. And when I walk along the line and then a man or a lady looks up at me and says, Betty, I'm terminal, immediately I know the feeling they have, hopelessness, frustration, when you know that doctors have said there's no hope. And especially if you don't have faith in God or you don't know about healing. Mama had always told us that anytime we wanted to know anything about God, we ask a pastor, she said pastors live next to God And they knew all about God And if we had questions we asked So one day after every do- doctor said I was dying I asked to see our pastor He came to my bedside and I said Pastor do you remember that day I got saved And he said I'll never forget it Such a wonderful wonderful conversion you had I said well that day you told us the story of Jesus He said yes I did I said in that story you said he healed all kinds of sickness Even cripples like me He said that's right he did I said then do you know that every doctor daddy takes me to says I'm going to die. He said, I know that. I said, then pastor reckon, If I coaxed him real hard and asked Jesus, reckon he would heal me. Perhaps it's the hardest question that pastor ever had to answer. With tears in his eyes, he took my hand in his and said, Betty, I can't give you false hope. The days of miracles are past and gone. Jesus doesn't heal anymore. And so I didn't know about divine healing. So when I was sent home to die, I was indeed without any hope. After I'd been crying and lying there on my bed feeling oppressed and depressed, I said, Lord, you heard what the doctor told daddy. He said, not to try and find another doctor, I'm going to die. I said, so if I'm going to die anyway, please, Jesus, come and take me. I don't want to suffer one more night of this. And I was lying there crying and feeling so depressed. Mama came in the room. She came over the bed and looked down and saw the tears. She said, my, my, why all the tears? Aren't you happy to be back home with Mama again? I said, I'm happy to be back home, but you don't know what the doctor told my daddy. She said, of course I know what he said. He said, what doctors have said since you were born? He said, you were going to die. But you're not going to die because I found the answer. And I thought Mama had found another doctor. And I said, Mama, what is his name? And she smiled and said his name name is Jesus and I said but mama I said pastor said he doesn't heal anymore and mama said yes but there's one thing that goes beyond the word of a pastor and that's the word of God and she said while you were in the hospital I grew desperate and I began to read the new testament over and over again and as I read it I found divine healing she said I found a verse of scripture that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever that means just as he healed when he's alive and walked the shores of Galilee he's still healing today he's going to go on healing until he comes in the clouds of glory she said I found another verse of scripture that says all things are possible if you can only believe and she said I believe you'll not die but that Jesus will heal you and make you whole well you know something faith is contagious it's catching you stay around people with faith and pretty soon your faith catches on when we leave tonight we'll leave with more faith than when we came because I'm catching your faith you're catching mine and so my faith caught on with Mamas. I forgot all about wanting to die I was somewhere on cloud nine believing with mama that Jesus would actually come and heal my body but after I determined that I would believe God for my healing things got worse instead of better this is when the real testing comes is when you have determined that you're going to trust God and things get worse and not any better that's what separates the men from the boys when you have to stand there and things are getting worse I got much worse and not any better I was so bad the least excitement in my room I'd have a heart attack when my grandmother came to see me, I hadn't seen her for some time. She only stayed a few moments, the excitement so much, I had a severe heart attack. After the doctor had worked over me, he told my parents if I want to keep the child alive, she can't have company. And so he isolated me from the world till I was alone and could see no one but mom and dad and the doctor. And this is the loneliest time of my life because my personality, I'm not a loner. I do not like long times of being alone. I like to be with my family and my friends. And this is such a lonely time. By this time, my chest had sunk in, my spine had curved until when I was healed, they stood me up. I stood as high as my four-year-old, four-year-old brother, but there were large knots up and down my spine. My head was twisted and paralyzed on my body like this, I could not move it. My arms were paralyzed from my shoulders to my wrists, I could only move my fingers. And so in this condition, mama would bathe me in the mornings and then she would put me on one side of the bed and I knew I'd have to lie in that condition until she'd come to turn me on the other side. She'd say, I have to go out and take care of the family, and she'd leave me alone. There was nothing I could do to pass away the time. I had no toys. Because I had no use for toys, I could not play with them. I could not read to pass away the time. My arms were paralyzed at my side. I could only move my fingers. I couldn't hold a book to read. And so in that loneliness, as a child, I began to talk to the Lord. And I can't count a number of the times as i pray, I'd hear a soft sound at the side of my bed. I would wonder if mama came back in the room and I didn't hear her open or close the door. And then I would hear a soft voice call me by my first name. Three times the voice would call softly Betty. His voice so audible I knew it was not the voice of the doctor. I knew it was not the voice of my daddy. I knew immediately it was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ calling me by my name. You say, Betty, you mean you've actually audibly heard the voice of Jesus. I've heard his voice as clear and plain and audible as you're hearing mine tonight. You asked me what he said and through the years many things have been forgotten. But one thing he always told me because he knew in my heart it was the one thing I longed dear most. I was laughed at and made fun of by other children. My own brothers and sisters didn't have much to do with me or didn't come in my room. I felt that no one cared about me but my mother. And then there were times I wondered, does mama love me? Or does she take care of me because I belong to her? So I always had this insecure feeling of not knowing if I was really loved. And every person, I don't care who you are tonight, has to know that somebody loves you. And if you're here tonight, and feel no one loves you and no one cares about you. I have good news for you. There is one who loves you with an everlasting love and his love is always loyal and true. And so in the stillness, Jesus would call my name Betty And then he would say he loved me. When he spoke that he loved me, my heart would beat faster. A thrill would pass through me. And I think it can go on being ugly and deformed if Jesus loves me. I can go on being crippled and isolated alone if I have Jesus. Because I felt then still like I feel tonight. If you've got Christ, you've got it all. If you have Jesus in this life, you have everything. And then he would say, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always, even unto the end. And so the time passed by and my... Mama said one evening, as the sun was going down and she would finished cleaning the kitchen, she came in. And she came, when she came into the room, she found me unconscious. She said I was breathing hard and loud and fast. She sat by my bed and watched as I labored to breathe. She said all at once there was complete silence in the room. She could hear no breathing. She got up and tried to find a pulse but could find no pulse. She said a gurgling sound was in my throat. Fluid coming from my mouth. She picked up my hands, my fingernails were black, and my lips were blue. Frightened, she went to the telephone and called Dr. Bailey and said, you must come at once. Something's wrong with Betty, she's not breathing right. He came to my bedside after he examined me. He said, she's lived now past the time we said she could. But this is it, she will never regain consciousness again. In this unconscious state, she's going to die. If there's anyone you want to see while she's still alive and breathing, you must call them at once. Someone to sit with her day and night at the slightest change, call me and I'll be here. And so for four days and nights, I lingered between life and death. My grandparents came, aunts and uncles came, neighbors came, and church people. They gathered in my room. It made no difference how many were there. I knew nothing about it. And during those four days and nights, my mother still would not give up hope or give up her faith. She didn't eat, but she fasted and prayed that I would not die, but that God would heal her. And when everybody in the room, my daddy included, were waiting for me to die, mama still believed that it, with faith in God, that he would still heal me and make me everyone whole. The reason I'm alive in your city tonight is because I had a mama who would not take no for an answer. She would not be denied. She stayed before the throne of God until God heard and answered her prayer. The fifth morning, I did what the doctor said I'd never do. But doctors aren't always right. Oftentimes they're wrong if you have Jesus in on your case. The fifth morning, I became conscious. Mama could see by my eyes I was conscious. She shook me very hard and said, It's mother. You know me, don't you? Betty, don't you know me? And I tried so hard to speak words to her. And I was so weak, no words would come. So I smiled so Mama would know that I was conscious and that I knew her. When I smiled and mother knew I was conscious, she raised both hands and began to praise God because she felt God had answered her prayer and given me back to her again. As I saw mama standing there with arms upraised toward heaven, praising God, above everybody in the whole world, I love my mother best of all. She's all that I had. For the first 15 years of my life, my mother was my entire life. She's all that I had. And as I saw her standing there praising God, I thought if I should die, mama would miss me but just for a little while at first. And then if I was gone, she could go places with daddy like she's not able to do. And I know that if I were to die, I'd be better off. Because for the last several months, when mama came in and she would say, I've got time to tell you a story. What would you like to hear today? My answer was always the same, please mama. Tell me again about that place of many mansions. I never got tired of hearing the splendors of heaven. Mama said there's gates of pearl, walls of jasper, and streets of solid gold. And she said the best thing about heaven, everybody walks tall and straight on the streets of gold. There are no cripples in that land. And she said nobody ever has any more pain. Do you blame me that I long to go to that place? Where for the first time in my life I'd be free from the pain that I suffered. So closing my eyes tightly. As mama had taught us to when we prayed I actually that day prayed to die And I said Jesus for a long time Mom and I have trusted you to heal me And somehow you haven't healed me I'm not going to ask you why That's up to you And it's alright Lord if you don't want to heal me But please Jesus If you're not going to heal me please come And take me to that land mama's told me about I don't want to stay here And as I prayed to die Thick black darkness settled about my bedside they never left me in a dark room alone before. There was always a light burning and mom or daddy always one was with me. I was alone in the darkness and I became frightened and frightened I whispered, Daddy, where is my daddy? I want my daddy. But you may come to that darkness of death and feel that supernatural feeling and fear will come to you as it did to me. And in the darkness and the fear you may call for your dad, but he won't answer. You may call for your mother, but she won't come to you. You may long for husband and wife because you've always had them, but in that hour of death, there's only one that's able to go beyond the veil of death with you, and that one is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the only one. I called for daddy, but he didn't answer. I looked and just in front of me. It appeared and looked like a long, dark, narrow-looking valley. In a floating sensation, it seemed my body floated just inside the valley. It was worse inside the valley than out. It was not only very, very dark, but it was so very cold. I shivered and shook, and I was so cold, my teeth chattered. And in a scared whisper, I asked myself the question, Where am I? What is this awful place? And from somewhere far, far in the distance, I recognized and heard my mother's voice saying softly, yay, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. I said, that's it. I pray to die and go to be with Jesus. And if this is the way that gets me to Jesus, I'm willing to go. But I was barely inside when that dark valley lit up with a light lighter than day. Because where Jesus is, there can be no darkness. He's the light of the world. He will light death's dark valley for the Christian. I felt somebody's big strong hand. Take mine and squeeze it I didn't need to turn and look I knew it was not the big hand of the doctor The strong hand of daddy I knew without looking It was the nail scarred hand of Jesus He held tightly to my hand And we went on through the valley At last I heard such beautiful music And singing in the distance And at last I came out And saw the most beautiful land I've ever seen Separating me from this beautiful place is a wide, wide river The waves are rolling and tossing Angrily against the shore I looked on the other side and saw that land where those who die in Jesus go to rest and await the resurrection day. I saw flowers blooming, flowers that never fade or die because that's heaven. I saw the river of life winding its way through that land because it's a land where we'll never grow old. And then standing just across the river from me, waiting to welcome me across were a group of those that had been saved by the same Christ that had saved me. Dressed in garments of glistening, glowing white they stood. With arms upraised, they sang in sweet harmony, holy, holy, holy. I looked at one and not a single one was bowed and bent and twisted like my body was. I looked at another one, not a single one at arms, dead and useless, paralyzed at their side like mine. I looked at still another one and not a one was crying because of pain or burdens too heavy for them to bear I said in just a moment I'm going to join that heavenly band and the moment I step across the river I'll straighten up and have a new body and I'm going to run all over God's heaven I was anxious to get across the river when Jesus standing beside me spoke softly and said Betty, you'll not cross go back and suffer a little while longer you'll have healing in the fall this is the first promise direct from his lips that he'd heal me through the years I trust his word just as you're trusting it tonight from that time and that this experience happened the early part of March when it's very cold it's still in Minnesota I was so crippled they could not get clothes on me so lying in bed if it was cold mama put flannel around me if it was hot she put something very light across me and this experience happened the early part of March and from March until August Those months are blank and lost to me as I lay unconscious. That part of my story you'd have to get from my family. I remember nothing. The doctor said I would never come out of that coma, or if I did, I would be a vegetable. But during that time, Daddy said, Mama, he would go by my room and hear Mama pray, night after night, still believing and praying for God to heal me. One day, I became conscious, and I noticed it was very hot, and there was a big fan in the floor. And I was puzzled and perplexed because the last thing I remembered, it was cold. Why is it so hot? My lips moved and Mama, sitting by the bed when she saw my lips moving, leaned her ear down and in a weak whisper, all the louder could speak before I was healed. I whispered, what day is today? Mama smiled at me and said, it's the 14th day of August. So then I knew how many months I had lost in between. I asked to see Daddy and my Daddy came in the room crying like a child. He picked me up in his arms and sat on the edge of the bed and held me there. Tears rolled down daddy's face and fell on my face. He said, there's something daddy's been wanting to tell you. And he said, you've been unconscious and couldn't hear me. I must tell you now, I may never have another chance. I wanted to tell you ever since you were given to us a tiny baby, daddy's loved you. I've done with all in my power to make you well. He said, I've spent all the money I've got and gone deep in debt. I've had the finest specialist I could get. Shaking his head, he said, but there's nothing more daddy can do for you. And then he smiled through his tears and he said, It won't be long though. Jesus is going to come for you. He'll pick your little twisted body up in the arms and carry you. The angels will pick your body up in their arms and carry you straight to Jesus. And when you get to Jesus, you'll straighten up and have a new body. You won't be crippled anymore. He said, When you get to heaven, stand just inside the gate. And every time they open, you look. Because one of these days, you're going to see Daddy come through those gates. I'm going to make heaven my home because you're going to be there. But I looked at Daddy and wondered how he could be so sure I was going to die. But he could not believe like Mama that Jesus had the power to heal me. In a whisper, I asked Daddy to place me in the big chair. Since a little girl they had a large overstuffed chair in my room, propped high with pillows, if I was out of the bed, they would sit me on the pillows. With my head that was twisted lying upon my knees and my arms stiff at my side is the only way I could sit in a chair. If you'd passed through my room before I was healed, as many did, you could have counted and seen every knot up and down my spine. When daddy placed me on the pillows, he sat on the floor so he could look at my face. I smiled at him and spoke softly in a whisper and said, No, you must leave. I have to be alone. I heard daddy cry as he left the room because they knew I hated to be alone. The only time I asked to be alone is when I had an appointment with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you can get an appointment with Jesus at any hour of the day or night. He never leaves heaven to go on a vacation. His line is never busy. And I've never called heaven and got an answering machine that says you have reached heaven. But there's no one in. Leave your name and number. Praise God, there's no answering machines in heaven. God is always on the line. And you can get an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When I heard Daddy close the door, tears rolled down my face and I was sitting there, a skeleton skin stretched over bones and sitting there weeping all of my life They had told me I would die and I didn't ever believe them But sitting there that day, I knew I was dying I knew I could not go on living And then I remembered what Mama said Mama had proven to me by God's word That it's God's will to heal the people. Did you hear me? It's God's will to heal the people. Mama said the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. But that Jesus said, I come to give life and life more abundant. And you can't have abundant life if you're sick. So it's the devil's business to make you sick. But it's God's power and his grace and his will to heal you. And so I got mad at the devil. And that's good to get mad at him once in a while. I thought I'm going to die and I haven't lived yet. I've lived in this room and I'm going to die now because the devil is the one that takes life and brings sickness. And It's not God's will that I, that I would die. And then I thought back at that experience at the river when I almost got to heaven and Jesus said, You'll not cross. Go back and suffer a little while longer. You'll have healing in the fall. So closing my eyes tightly, I prayed and said, Jesus, Do you remember a long time ago when I almost got to heaven and you said that I wouldn't cross to go back and suffer and that you'd heal me in the fall. I said, Lord, it's still awful hot here. So I don't reckon you really call this fall yet, do you, Lord? But I wonder for this one year, would you call it fall and come and heal me? Listen, he'll change the times and the seasons for his children. Prayer changes things. And as you pray, God can shorten the time of your affliction. And as I prayed, I waited because when I ask God for something, I grow very still and quiet and I wait and listen for him to answer me back. He's alive. He's up there. He hears us when we pray, don't he? If he hears us when we pray, does he answer when we pray? Of course he will answer. And you say, well, Betty, does God speak to people today? Certainly. In many ways, the most common perhaps is his word. Have you been going through something you could not go one day more? And you got his word and you said, God, I just can't go on without something from you. You opened the Bible, a verse leap from the pages, it became alive, it to you. It spoke to your very heart. That was God speaking to you through his word. He speaks in that inner voice that we know, that we know, that we know. And he can speak an audible voice if he so desires. But I sit there trembling in the chair and I heard no voice at all. I got no scripture. I had no inner witness, I heard no audible voice, I got nothing. And there will come a time in your life, you will pray for something and you really need an answer. And you'll get nothing. You say, then Betty, what do I do? Do like I did, hang in there in faith and ask again. Ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, you're going to find the answer. He watches over his word to perform it, and though it tarry, wait for it, it'll surely come to pass. God cannot lie, he keeps his promises. And then, this is not my story, it's just thrown in extra. Then, if you've prayed for something for a long, long time and haven't got an answer, check it the way you've been praying. Did you know we could pray wrong? If we pray at the wrong motive, we won't get an answer. So, check it the way you've been praying. So, I thought of the way I've been praying. Since I was 11 years of age, Mama said I could be healed. And from the time I was 11, I'd earnestly prayed to be healed. But my prayer was always the same, and you know what it was? Please, God, heal me. Oh, God, heal me. I begged, I pleaded, I pleaded, and I begged for all that time. And not one time, not once, had I told him I'd do anything for him or give him anything. How selfish I felt that day. And in my heart, I was, felt so selfish, and I thought immediately, what do I have that I could give Jesus? What do I have that I could give Jesus? If you've tried everything else and you haven't got an answer, try commitment and see what he will do. There's a church I go to. I've been going to it for years. And for the last five years or so, every time I go, there's this young boy. And he started, I've been going there about eight years because when I started going there, he's 20. Now he's about 28. And every time I come, there he sits near the front in a wheelchair. He was on a motorcycle without a helmet, and he went head-on into a truck and it severed his spinal cord, so he's paralyzed from here down. But every year he sits there. And so this last spring I went to, or this last fall, I went there and I prayed for everybody and there he sits waiting. I went back to his chair and I said, what are we going to do with you tonight? He said, I hope that this is the night that you will do something. I said, well, I've done all I know to do. I said, will you be willing to do, try one more thing? He said, sure, what do you want? I said, let's try making a real commitment. He said, what do you mean? I said, would you be willing right now to tell the Lord and mean it. That if he heals you completely so you can walk, you can move, you can you can get around, you can run, you can speak, that right now if he heals you, that you'll go where he wants you to go, you'll do what he wants you to do, and you'll be what he wants you to be. Would you make that commitment? He looked at me startled and said, no, Sister Betty, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, God might ask me to some, go somewhere I don't want to go. That's right. But if he asks you to go somewhere you don't want to go, his grace is sufficient. If he's asking..." you to do it. I remember years ago, the first time I ever went to to, uh, Calcutta, India, the worst place in the whole world. I've been a lot of places, but Calcutta is the worst. The smell is so bad that you get sick as soon as you get off the plane. And the first night I preached at the rally, Mark Montaigne said, now Betty, don't be surprised in the apartment tonight if you see rats and they grow as big as cats because they believe in reincarnation and they won't kill a rat for fear. It's their grandmother that's come back in the form of a rat. After I preached that night, I sat on the foot of the bed with the highest high heel shoe I had, and I watched all night, and I determined if I'd have seen a rat, I'd have killed it no matter whose grandma it might have been. I don't like to go to India. I still don't like to go to India. There's places in Africa I don't like to go But I want to tell you something If he calls you to go His grace is sufficient Will you make a commitment tonight That young man still sits in a chair Because he's afraid that God might ask him to go somewhere He don't want to go But as I sit there I thought What do I have I could give Jesus I was a child A very immature child The first thought I had was toys If I had toys I'd tell Jesus he could have them but I had no toys, and I didn't stop to think what he would do with toys But he saw the motive of my heart I wanted to give But I had no toys, and then I thought of shoes My sisters had two pair, one for school, a prettier pair for church, I didn't ever have any And when I begged Daddy for shoes, he said, there's no money for you shoes And if you had shoes, what would you do with them? And then the thing I'd wanted most in my life, till I dreamed it became a obsession, Was to have a dress of my very own that was mine And so sitting there in the chair, trembling, I whispered as much as I want to dress. If I had one, Jesus, you could have it if you would heal me. But there, I had no dress to give. Mama wrapped claws around me. So sitting there in the chair, I thought, and there was only one thing I had in life. One thing was all that I had. It wasn't much, but it was all, and that was a crippled, ugly, twisted body. And closing my eyes tightly, I said, Jesus, listen to me And I'll tell you what I'll do If you'll heal the organs in my stomach And put them in the proper place So I can eat and digest solid food and gain strength I'll use all that strength for your service If you'll heal my heart and give me a brand new strong heart I'll use that strong heart for you. I said, Jesus, I'll go further than that. If you'll heal me on the inside, if you'll heal me on the outside and make me perfectly whole. From this day on, my life will no longer belong to Betty Baxter, but I'll be yours and I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. That's the promise and the vow I made for the healing that I have tonight. I sit there trembling, would he answer me? Or would again I get no answer when beside the chair? I heard the audible voice of Jesus speak and say, Betty, I'm going to heal you completely. August the 24th, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, he gave me the day, the hour, the time. That isn't strange. God knows all of our tomorrows, doesn't he? The first thought I had was, won't mama be tickled when I tell her? She thinks I'm going to be healed. But what will she say when I tell her? I know the day and hour she's going to do it. And then Jesus spoke and said, now don't tell this till my time comes you know how hard it is for a woman to keep still But I found out how to keep a secret You shut your mouth literally and don't open it And then you won't tell I heard mama open the door and I closed my mouth very tight So I wouldn't tell because Jesus had said not to She came in the room and sat on the floor so she could look up in my face She talked to me about my family She talked to me about my little brothers And then smiling at me, she said, honey, do you know when the Lord's going to heal you? In all the years before when I didn't know, she hadn't asked me. And now when I knew and wasn't supposed to tell, she asked. I couldn't tell her because Jesus said not to. So I just looked at her and said, when? She said, August the 24th, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock. I said, mama, how'd you know? Did I let it slip and tell you? She said, oh no, the same God that talks to you, he talks to me too. So it made me doubly sure he would heal me on the 24th day of August. I could see that dream for a dress coming true and I said mama as bad as I am and as big as the knots are on my spine you still believe he'll do it she said I know he will God is not a man that he ever breaks a promise I said then mama if you really believe it don't wait not even till tomorrow but go to town right now and get me a new dress and shoes and let's have them all ready when Sunday comes So when I get healed at 3 o'clock, I can wear them and go to church on Sunday night. That's what I've been waiting for. I want you to think for a moment of the tremendous faith my mother had. My daddy certainly did not believe. Our family did not believe. But mama with faith in her heart got dressed and went to town. She came home with a dress and a pair of shoes. That dress was a cheap cotton blue dress. But that's the prettiest dress I've ever had in my life. It was mine. Lying in bed bent over, there was a place at the foot of the bed I could see so she put the dress and shiny patent leather shoes with bows on the toes like grown-ups wear. She put that beside the dress so I could see it all the time. And from the 14th day of August till the 24th, no matter how many hours I was alone, I was never lonely anymore because I never get tired of looking at the dress and shoes saying, won't I be pretty when Sunday comes? And Jesus makes me straight and I wear a new dress and shoes and I'll be just like other girls. The longest days of waiting have an ending. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Finally, Sunday came, and Mama came in and said, it's almost three o'clock. The family are here, and some neighbors have come, some church people, they're all waiting in the living room. We had asked the pastor to come, and he couldn't be there, he wasn't there. And so Mama took me, placed me in the big chair on the pillows, as with, with my head on my knees, I could see the feet of those that had come to pray. I saw my little brother, four years of age, he'd never known me any other way. He was kneeling at my knees and I don't know what you do when you get happy. Some people scream and some people run. I've seen people throw away crutches and run and scream And we let them do that, they deserve that I saw three or four weeks ago that lady in Baltimore, Maryland Kick that wheelchair and she let out a scream That really scared you if you didn't know it was coming I jumped and she screamed and she began to run all up and down the aisles And that was a pretty formal church you know And the pastor is pretty formal and he looked at me and said let her go She deserves it after being crippled 35 years So we just let her rejoice So I don't know what you do. Maybe you jump and yell when you... Get real happy, but when I get real happy, I cry real hard. It sounds ridiculous, don't it? But the tears are streaming down my cheeks. I'm so happy. It's almost time for Jesus to come. My baby brother kneeling at my knees looked at my face and saw the tears and shook his little head. He said, "Don't cry anymore, sis. It'll only be a minute. Then you'll be bigger than I am." And then mother knelt down and said, "It's time now for Jesus to come." Is there anything you want us to do before He comes? There was no pastor there. There was no evangelist there. No. Person was there and I thought somebody Ought to pray so I said mama let's Pray we must be praying when he comes So the last thing I remember was mama Praying and she said you promised At three o'clock you'd come and heal her The hour has come now and you're not a Man that you would lie you're not a man That you'd break a promise come now And heal her for your own glory I didn't hear mama praying but I heard a Great noise as if a storm was coming up The wind was roaring and rushing and Raging through the living room went a Rushing mighty wind the drapes swung in the breeze a door slammed somewhere and now outside it was a still quiet day mama said her unsaved brother got as white as a sheet and hung on the chair he was so scared she thought he was going to faint but the rushing wind went through the house and then all was still and quiet and i knew somehow the wind was bringing jesus that he would come i didn't know from where or how but i knew that wind was bringing jesus and i could only speak above a whisper and mama said That in the silence, everyone heard me whisper, He's coming. Don't you hear him? He's coming at last. He's coming. Don't you hear him? Because I'd waited a long, long time. And Mama said, I said, He's coming at last. Don't you hear him? And with my head on my knees, I could only see that part of the wall of the living room. I watched and waited. Tears rolled down my cheeks. He's coming at last. And all at once across the room, I saw taking form a great white feces cloud. No dark in it, no gray, perfectly white. And as I watched, stepping forth out of the cloud, came Jesus, dressed in garments of glowing, glistening white, white this world has never seen. It glowed and sparkled and fell about his feet. His arms were outstretched toward me. I saw the ugly print of the nails in his hands. He walked slowly toward the chair. When he got to the side of the chair, he stooped down. His face was so close to mine. If my arms had not been paralyzed, I could have reached out and touched his face. Smiling, he spoke softly and said, Betty, You've been patient, kind, and loving. And that repaid me for all I've ever suffered. He said henceforth I'm going to promise you health, joy, and happiness. The final word happiness I saw him reach out his hand. My body became tense waiting for the touch of Jesus. But all at once a very hot feeling went through me inside. Two hot hands as hot as fire. I felt felt impressed on the lower part of my stomach. I literally felt organs shift and move as they went into their proper place. I knew when they x-rayed me everything would be perfect. I knew from that moment on you could give me anything to eat and nothing would ever hurt me anymore. Two hot hands as hot as fire took my enlarged heart. He squeezed it when he let it go for the first time in my life. I could take a deep breath without gasping, without any pain and I knew that my heart trouble is gone because he's a heart specialist. He's a cancer specialist. He's An arthritis specialist There's nothing impossible With the God that we serve Inside I knew I was healed completely But my family watching Could see no change I was still ugly, twisted, crippled I looked at Jesus To see if he'd leave me half healed And you remember this When he begins something in your life He will finish it He smiled and reached out his hand And on one of the large knots In the center of my spine I felt a hand placed there I'd never felt before. A hand charged with the divine healing virtue of Jesus. A tingling sensation started in my crooked feet and tingled throughout my body. I heard the bones crack and pop as the vertebrae went into place. In the presence of my family and those who were there, they saw the knots fade and disappear and leave my spine. My head snapped back into its right position. My paralyzed arms are raised high. And in 10 seconds, I jumped from the chair and stood as straight as I'm standing tonight. I've been healed, healed by the mighty power of. Jesus Christ, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be healed right now. There's enough power and faith going. Reach out to Jesus right now. You don't have to wait for a healing line. Reach out right now and be healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You say, Betty, you mean instantly he healed you? I mean that. And when he instantly heals, that's called a miracle. But that's not the only way God heals. There is a healing. From the time you're prayed for, you can go standing on his word, claiming his promises. And weeks and sometimes months after I've been in a service, we get a letter at the office saying they are completely healed. That over a period of time, they kept getting better and better till the doctor said they're completely whole. That's called a healing. So he heals both instantly and gradually as he sees fit. And it really makes no difference. It's all right as long as he gets it done right. But the greatest part of the whole story is this. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for me, he'll do for you. He's no respecter of persons. He does not love Betty Baxter more than he loves you. He knows your name tonight and your street address. He knows everything about you. and He loves and cares about you tonight. And what he's done for me, He'll do for you if you'll release your faith and believe him for it tonight. I didn't want to close until I told you what to me is the greatest part of all the story. If you forget all the rest of it, always remember this part. As I stood there straight, healed by God's power, I looked back at the empty chair where I'd been sitting. And standing beside the chair still stood Jesus. His arms are outstretched toward me and he looked from the soles of my feet slowly to the top of my head and when I saw him looking at me I stood as straight as I could so he could see how good he made me I believe he stayed to enjoy his handiwork don't you and then Jesus looked deep into my eyes and smiled and spoke these words I shall never forget Betty I've given you the desire of your heart I've healed you completely and made you whole and I nodded my head because I knew he had He said, but I've got to leave you here for a little while. I'm going back to the Father and finish that mansion that's almost ready for you. I want you to go out and tell the world what I've done for you. When men and women hear this story, they'll be saved. And when they hear this story, they'll be healed and brought to God. And then smiling just before he backed in the cloud and went away, he smiled and said, and be thou faithful. And every day watch for a cloud and the next time you see me coming in a cloud I'm not going to leave you here but I'm going to take you to be with me forevermore he's coming back again he said he was Jesus Christ is coming back to earth again and as never before in the last year and a half I suppose I've gone through the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life when some of my dearest friends turned their back and walked away. And I've never longed for Jesus to come so much in all of my life. I felt my life was not real. It surely was me a nightmare. I would wake up. Men, I had trusted a man that was my pastor and turned his back on me. And I've longed for Jesus to come back. And my husband in Singapore, because the government hates Christianity and feels threatened because our church is some 6,000 and it's so big that they feel threatened with it. They brought charges against the pastor and my husband's title was personal assistant to the pastor so therefore they brought charges against him. He cannot leave the country. And so while I told my story tonight, I thought it would all be over if Jesus, if I'd see the cloud right now. Because I'd leave And my husband from Singapore would take off they, No matter if they had his passport, that wouldn't matter He'd take off and somewhere between earth and heaven We'd be reunited, we'd go home to be with Jesus There's no lawsuits over yonder There's no accusations over yonder There's no persecution when we get over there So you didn't know tonight that while I told the story I looked yonder and here and here Thinking maybe tonight is the night I'll see that cloud appear because I've told my story so many, many years. So many years that there's times in traveling I grow weary of waiting in airports. I get tired. I just recently come from New Zealand and I get weary and tired and I thought tonight if I could just see it Because somehow since he healed me I've always felt in my own heart That somewhere I'd be telling my story And I'd see the cloud And I'd leave to go be be with him But as I looked everywhere tonight The Lord spoke so definitely to my heart If you'd see that cloud right now You're watching for There'd be some left sitting here Because they're not all ready for my coming I don't know who you are You're strangers to me tonight But Jesus knows who you are and he said, if I'd see the clouds, some of you'd be left here. You'd be left in this world. And all the Christians, listen to me, all God's people would be gone. And you'd be left here alone. It's a serious thing to think about. And I know as I travel, even churches I've been going to for years and years and years, they change their beliefs. Some of them now, pastor, as I've known for so many years, don't believe in the rapture like I do. But don't take that blessed hope away from me. You may not believe in it. You may may not believe he's coming back. But mama taught me about that blessed hope. And don't take it away from me. I'm looking for him to come. But even if you don't believe Jesus is coming back again. You have no argument when I talk that death is going to come. You agree with me there. It's no respecter of persons that comes to the young and old alike. Someday... You're going to meet God and with every, In every person there's a living soul That God put there And the only way we're going to spend eternity With Jesus Is to have his blood Applied to our heart He died for the world He died for you And you're going to have to answer something You say Betty I'm, I'm not either for or against I'm neutral Neutral you cannot be If you're not for Jesus you're against him tonight What is your answer going to be? You've been such a great audience, but I feel someone on my heart tonight. I feel there are at least three young people, very young people, that in this service, God has spoken continually to your heart. There's a young man here that God is speaking to you right now, and he says to you, I have knocked and knocked time and time again, and you've turned me away. I'm knocking one more time tonight. Will you open the door and let me come in? And I will sup with you I want to use me I want to use you For my glory He's speaking to others tonight I feel you on my heart So I'm going to ask you this question How about your heart Is it right with God I want to ask you this You answer to yourself Can you say Betty I know without a doubt If you'd see the cloud I'd go with you If you can't say that There is a doubt there Settle that doubt Let me pray for you and settle that doubt and you can leave knowing if Jesus comes before morning or if he calls you by death, you'll be immediately into the presence of the Lord while every head is bowed.